happy, the ball itself has its own energy, or life force, if you will. Its natural environment is in the hall. So why don't you send him home? His bags are packed. He's got his airplane tickets. Bring him to the airport. Send him home. <laughs> send him home. Just send him home. It's time to go home there, ball. Why didn't you just go home? That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of Muskies on Tap. We are really excited to bring you this episode. Honestly, could call it a mega episode. I don't know what it's going to come out to be. It is currently 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night. We've been going strong since 7-ish. So uh, we got a whole lot packed into this one. I hope people enjoy the long format. We really do. Uh, it kind of helps, you know, not put any parameters on flowing with, you know, talking with our guests and, and asking questions and kind of going on tangents because that's what we like to do. As we say to the people that we're interviewing, we're like, we just let it riff, go from there, and uh, just see what happens by the end of it. And uh, But tonight, you're going to hear Austin Wiggerman of Austin Wiggerman Guide Service of Northern Illinois, Southern Wisconsin, Geneva, Fox Chain. And he also mentioned he goes to Minnesota midsummer. Uh, we had a great talk with him. And we also had a little surprise guest max i just got you on right here right right now and and brian's not able to make it do we tell the listeners the surprise guest at all or do we keep it do we make them listen all the way through and get to that point or or do we give them a little hint what do we do <laughs> well i you know either way however you want to dial it up gus i mean he's he's been a previous guest on he just makes a, a quick appearance um and always good to see his shining face i i am uh a little bit remiss tonight to miss uh out on our our beautiful boy brian eckel but it is his busy season with work so we uh definitely understand that uh he's got some travels going on and it also is his birthday so everyone give a little shout out to brian eckel uh shout out big birthday shout boy today out. um when this comes Happy out birthday. he'll be a year older He'll be a year older. He'll be a year wiser, um, and all that. Sure all about that, that? that goes into. Yeah, you know, probably have not hair yet? wiser. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably not wiser, but he'll definitely be a year older. Uh, you know, he gives me a lot. It gives me a hard time for being uh, an old head, but he'll be here soon. So, uh, goes quick. Um, wish him a, a very happy birthday here today, and and we'll we'll probably reconvene with him next week. So. Hopefully you guys don't miss him too much. We uh, we made up for it, I think, plenty tonight with an awesome, awesome interview with Austin. We just got done with it. I will say it was one of those interviews where I felt like we just could have kept riffing. You know, he's a, a younger guy. We share a lot of common interests, um, not only in muskie fishing, but outside. So had a blast talking with him. Um, you know, unfortunately, our paths have never crossed in person, but I don't think that'll last too much longer. And uh, looking forward to uh, either sharing the bowl with him in the future or meeting him at a show or two or whatnot. So um, excited for you guys to hear this one. 
outside of that, uh, you know, obviously we got a quick touch on our Green Bay Packers. Tough loss. Um, oh, yeah. We don't tough. have residential guest Brian talking about that. He's always the the sports guru talker, football <laughs> yeah. fanatic. Yeah, you know, I ride and die with my pack. I think uh, it was a great season, a lot to hold our heads on, and uh, we'll be back better than ever next year. But, uh, yeah, enough uh, enough football chatter. Season's done here in, in Wisconsin. Excited to see the uh, AFC and NFC championship games. But uh, it's going to be another uh, another winter, spring, summer, and uh, early fall until we see, see our boys back in action on the field. So, in the meantime, let's, uh, let's dial up this interview and – you guys enjoy some great yeah. musky chatter tonight. Hell yeah. Let's get that going and stay tuned afterwards for a special guest about the upcoming Hint Hint Road Rules event. Hint Hint. All right. Here's the interview with Greg. Austin. Greg. <laughs> oh, Greg. Oh, Greg. <laughs> All right. Dialing it up. All right, guys, here on the line tonight, we have Austin Wiggerman with Austin Wiggerman Guide Service. Uh, we got him on because we always wanted to chat muskies with him and the lakes that he fishes. And he also he also was at the Chicago show. So we're going to ask him about that as well. So anyways, Austin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. I appreciate you guys having me on, getting this to work out. Glad I figured out the, the Wi-Fi situation, at least uh Hopefully my audio comes through decent enough, but uh, thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, of course. Audio sounds good. I think it's better than where you were before, so hopefully it <laughs> stays stays the way it is. And, it should uh, know. It should know. Yeah. So um, we were just chatting before uh, recording here, but uh, how was the Chicago show? I heard you were there the whole time and you had a seminar, so let us know how that went. Yeah, the Chicago show is good. Honestly, I'm I'm always a big fan of the shows. You know, I don't I don't got a, a booth to really set up or worry about selling too much, but um, but I always help Team Rhino set up, which their booth is always a task. They just bring a ton of baits, so it's uh, it's it's kind of a uh, it's a little depressing though. You set up a bunch of these gorgeous baits, and you're just feeling that hole in your pocket burn deeper and deeper. But uh, no, it was good. It was another another solid show. It's always fun catching up and seeing everybody from from the season and clients and everything from around my area. But uh, it seemed like numbers were probably a little bit lower than the normal, um, at least normal as, as in the last two years. Um, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of gorgeous baits. I know a lot of people walking out there smiling and yeah, the, the seminar was cool. I will say it was a, uh, it's an awesome opportunity to be able to speak at a, at a seminar uh, or have a seminar at the show. It was uh, cool. And I honestly, Sunday morning, you can only expect so much nowadays for having a group. We had a good group, and it, it kind of felt personable, which was, I think it's always it's always good. You're getting too big of a of numbers crowd, and I feel like you really can't go back and forth. It's not really a, as much of a discussion. It's more just up me me up there yapping, which uh, I know that's why guys showed up. But it was a it was a perfect size group. It was a it was a good seminar. So overall, the weekend was a was a fun time. Always is. Yeah, you are our you're our uh, boots on the ground correspondent here for the Chicago show because Gus and I were not able to make it down there. Um, so I, you know, with the, with the seminar thing, I saw a little bit when you were doing, you know, some some promotion for it. 
you kind of incorporated some some videos into your seminar you know how how did that go i guess as far as like showing the videos and and kind of teaching and then is this um have you done seminars in the past or was this one of your your first ones that you've done at one of the shows so this was the first one that i've done it at one of the shows which that's why it was uh you know, the cool. first of anything, especially at the show seasons, it's always like uh, you, you get so amped up and you're all nervous yeah. and stuff. But the second you mm -hmm. start talking, and like I said, it's, it's nice having a little bit of a smaller crowd where you can discuss beforehand, really get to meet the guys and stuff. But um, yeah, like I said, it was uh, it was it was a cool opportunity doing it at the shows. I've done done a bunch. But like you guys, we were talking before we uh, started on the fish with teeth thing. That's just a. Uh, a page I put together with my buddies when we were getting into the thing. And I, I was running some seminars, you could call it through, through that page uh, on Facebook live last winter. And I was sitting there looking at my schedule upcoming for this winter. And I went, boy, the first time I'm going to speak is going to be at the Chicago show. I better, <laughs> I better sign something up. I'm going to be speaking Spanish in front of all these guys. With the nerves. So I, I kind of lined that the way that, uh, that I did so I could get some of those, uh, those first speaking jitters out of the way and, and whatever, but it, it went, it went great. It's always, always fun time talking muskies. Awesome. Did you, did you do a similar seminar to the one on Facebook or, or, um... I did more complex to be honest. Nice. Um, I, I talked to, I talked a lot about the same topics. Um, but that one I definitely set up where it was it was kind of shorter and we could talk more after. I really wanted that to be more of a discussion with the people that were there and not the entire time just me talking. But mm -hmm. uh, what I did was really just add in a bunch bunch more on um, like bait specific, talking about retrieve triggers with a bunch of the different baits, um, and then just basically adding in videos that I've had from over the years that kind of uh, went hand in hand with the. Uh, those retrieve triggers and and both sides stuff and then just added it on top of all the bite window stuff that i had covered on that facebook live so gus is doing his first uh public speaking engagement here coming up uh doing a road rules and then he's i think doing some sort of panel deal down in milwaukee you got any advice for him uh as, yeah. a, as another uh first time public speaker Absolutely. on the, the musky game what, what would you say to him i guess well i think for me because i hated public speaking number one like that when you sign up to be a guide and do all this shit nobody tells you that oh, yeah. you gotta be a public speaker you know there was nowhere <laughs> in the in the application that they they had that I, anywhere i didn't uh, see that either so uh-huh but but what i i think especially in any of the, like the classic seminars like this this show one was uh, i'll say a little bit different um but like you get there beforehand and I really just like go around and like introduce myself to everybody. It just, it helps calm you down, realize that you're talking to normal guys and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I always feel like I, I don't know why, but I always feel like I got to come out with some kind of joke. Like, I don't know if it's to get me <laughs> oh, settled just... down or like to like get a, a read on the audience or whatnot. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I would suggest that or not, but try to find a way to become personable and like settle yourself in, whether it's making yourself look dumb or I, I don't know. That's the best way I got it. Yeah, that's good advice. I, I don't I don't know if I'm going to take the joke exactly <laughs> for the initial. I I would feel like there's a good chance like nobody laughs and I sit there and just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, I did that once and it, then it really kills you. Then you're like, oh, boy. yeah, I don't want it to go. I don't want to start 
I want to start at least at middle ground here at the beginning uh, of the of the seminar. But... I was joking with uh, I was joking with somebody over the weekend. I always usually I try to get a read like, you know, like in high school or middle school, you always had that kid that would like talk too much and overshare, or, like was a goofball. Like I mm-hmm. try to look, I try to find them, like that person in the audience, because having the audience interaction, like whether it be an, ask questions or like comments or whatever, that makes that that helps me so much but like if the audience is just dry and like scared to ask questions or whatever boy i get nervous as can be if nobody (laughs) wants to answer a question i asked or whatever i'm like so it's i feel like it's it's definitely repetition like especially coming on a podcast i hated this so much but like you guys do it plenty you'll be just fine it's it's just talking muskies but i always have to make myself look like an idiot or something right out of the gates to just kind of settle myself in i'll show like a lost fish video or something right from the get-go don't do this yep. yeah i don't know Yep, exactly <laughs> me just like losing my shit on the water or something like that <laughs> it, hey it works i've done it before i swear no you want to see the worst figure eight i've ever made on video here you go now we'll talk about real musky fishing yeah <laughs> hell yeah so do you did you just use like powerpoint on your computer and just input the videos in there so that you could just like tap and click yep. during yeah. the presentation. Yeah. So I usually I'd have them play in loop. Um, and then I just add a, a blank screen and put a video because sometimes, sometimes if I, if I have it where it plays automatically, I haven't set myself up to talk about something beforehand and I've screwed myself. And then you try talking while the video's on and you really realize that like when the video's on, people aren't listening to what you're saying. So it's not important. So like usually if there's a video i try to say whatever i'm going to say for them to focus on or watch for and then let the video play because doing both there's just people just they don't they don't pay attention to both at the same time they're stuck watching the video or stuck listening to you and they don't get it get the best of both worlds so yeah that would be a suggestion i would say if you input video definitely uh have it where you click in sequence and then say whatever you're going to say beforehand Cool. Yeah, that's definitely good advice. I probably would not have thought of that unless I went through the PowerPoint a few times or something. And mm-hmm. hopefully I'm able to do that because I will uh, definitely want a little repetition. I I think the one thing that I'm uh, just to stay on this topic, the one thing I'm worried about is just time. Like, I don't know if you had a, did you have like the amount of uh, just slides and then minutes per slide so... or do you just kind of... So I've, so I've done probably like 20, around 20 seminars now between just like uh, Muskie's Inc. chapters and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I went back and forth with like the time thing. So at one point I started off with putting way too much information on the slides. And then like in my rehearsal, it was like me wanting to say things a specific way. And, Mm -hmm. and then it, it, it just got to like too much almost rambling or if I wanted to add on, it, it didn't set up well. Then I went the opposite way. Then I went with very little information on the slides. And then I whenever I got nervous, I didn't have anything to really get back to. So I've kind of gotten myself where it's like anywhere from 25 to 30-ish slides is usually about an hour. Um, okay. And, and like the... I really try to keep the the bullet points to 
long enough that if I get nervous, I can spin around, read the next one and just kind of get, keep things rolling. But definitely don't have too much information or feel like I'm forcing myself to say things certain ways. Like you, you realize that, and it, I have I had this discussion with with Brad Hoppy over the weekend about just the industry itself and like we're prosumers essentially like we know more than the vast majority of people and even if we play things over in our head like how we wanted to say certain things or discuss a certain topic like they don't know that right mm-hmm. so you got to kind of give yourself cut yourself some slack in those areas and just give yourself the highlights you you go through it the way you're going to go through it in that time frame and if you didn't hit every little piece of it that you were planning it's not the end of the world you you're still sharing a bunch of quality information with these guys that they'll they'll take away from it you for know sure. whatever you do. yeah awesome i'm <laughs> thank you for that that makes me feel a lot better and i'm going to get going on that powerpoint here shortly because i don't want to that's the last thing i want to don't want to be rushing i haven't really done uh uh quote unquote homework since uh college yeah, i know yep. so this is kind of goofy but i'm actually i'm looking say, forward to it i will say my other my other thing for me is like i'm like i don't even know how to exactly say it but basically i we hold ourselves to a high standard right and like yeah. whether it comes out as good as we think it did or not, like you'll still have guys that'll come up and say, Hey, that was an awesome PowerPoint. So like if I, I started basically just feeling better and giving myself some slack on like, like you don't have to have this thing perfected before you go up there, like get the yeah. PowerPoint nice, have it organized, make it look clean. But like, you're just talking muskies. We can, we, you guys do this a ton on the podcast. We do it all the time with our buddies on the water guide. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's easy. It's just, it's, you got to get yourself going and be comfortable. And that's why I always make myself look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, be golden. <laughs> thank you. I thank you. <laughs> Gus, I think you should have had a notepad out there, but I think that's all really sound advice. I got uh, him in my noggin. <laughs> yeah. Got in the noggin. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> it works. Sometimes. So yeah, let's, so let's circle back. Uh, I guess kind of start, start from the, start from the start here, if you will, um, you know, pre all these seminars and, and, you know, get in the guiding business rolling. Like when did this all kind of start to click for you as far as like when you made the jump from just being, you know, a guy to a guide, uh, when did that happen? And, you know, kind of, when did you start to branch out? I mean, I, I think one of the things I'm really excited to talk to you about tonight is, um, uh, you know, some of the waters you fish in Wisconsin, just because it's, you know, in our home state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that you do kind of, you know, you diversify yourself. So what, uh, give us kind of the setup on when things got rolling, you know, where you started and, and kind of how, how it progressed all of a sudden just saying, Hey, I'm going to do this full time and, and be a guide. Absolutely. Um, you might have to remind me of a few points in that question, but I will say basically <laughs> when things really got rolling for me, um, 2015 was like the first year that I fished muskies full time. So 2014, I had done some muskie fishing. Um, we, I did a couple of Canadian trips with my best friend, um, their family, they always do fly in Canadian trips. And then we did a week on Eagle. Um, which that was awesome. And that was like probably, 
on Eagle. That was like the first legit musky experience. And we did, uh, we all did a day with a guide and I think I went, I think I went Oh for six in the figure eight that day. And I was just, pulling, <laughs> but it was so cool. You know, the guide was probably losing his mind, you know, and I was just right. like watching these fish, you know, level with the bucktail, chasing it in, eating it in my, in the figure eight. And I was just like geeking out, you know, but that was probably my first real experience. And then come 2015, I had, uh, I had bought a 14 foot smoker craft little tin can off my uncle for like 50 bucks. And, and uh, where, where are you at at this time? So at this point, let's see, 2015, I'm 2015. I'm still in Illinois where I'm at right now. And uh, so basically, like I said, 2015 was the first real year that I musky fished and the vast majority of it around home, Illinois was on the Fox train. Um, so that was, that was like the first year that, basically once once school ended early may that mm -hmm. we were going as as much as we could i think honestly at that time i don't even know what i was doing for a job but i would say that we were probably going at least four days four days five days a week and uh i'll never forget it we put like 73 muskies in the boat in that little tin can that year but um yeah. between the fox chain and then i Hell i grew yeah. up with a, a cabin in wapaca wisconsin i don't know if oh, you yeah. guys Yep. Yeah. Our, our yep. grandma and grandpa had a place there uh, when we were growing up until we got our um, spot up in Eagle River, you know, probably 20 years ago. But uh, when we were real little, we used to go to Wapaka, like real, yeah. real little. And I, we'd catch and bluegills I and stuff place. off the dock. It was awesome on the Wapaka chain. Yep. And the only downfall of that place is it used to have muskies in it. And, really? and of course, I don't know. I wish I could remember what year we got it. I was, I think I was maybe 12 or 13 i'm 28 now so whatever that puts it at um but like i had caught plenty of bass plenty of pike growing up and uh during the signing of the of the the cabin i i'd always i wanted to break 40 inch pike basically was my goal at the time and uh mm -hmm. i'll never forget my my mom and dad were in in the cabin signing the papers and they look out and I'm fighting this pike and I don't know, it was an upper thirties pike, but I was sitting there <laughs> fishing off the dock. So, so basically the way the things transformed was like from up there, I would have Shawano Lake. I always used to call it Shawano until my buddy I lived with in Wisconsin gave me shit. He's like, it's not Shawano, you freaking Southerner. You know? Yeah. I still um, sometimes call it that just, to, yep, just so, for fun. And God, that was, that lake was a blast back in the day. So we, we fished that and we fished the Wisconsin river. And then we were doing my group, um, that I made fish with teeth outdoors with, we would do the June trip every year, starting in 2014, we would do, uh, the Lake Vermilion. So we'd go out of Vermilion Dam Lodge, basically be oh, like wow. a week after opener. And that was like kind of our, our musky fishing for a while. Um, then when I graduated, which I actually gave, this was part of uh, the seminar that I gave at Chicago, was talking about 2017. And it was cool because I, I have still in my notes page from my phone, um, it says like created January 20th, 2017 or whatever. And it's uh, Luke Ronestrand's seminar and it's the, all the highlight notes from uh, the talk that he gave. And later that year, I graduated college. I had to do a capstone work uh work thing basically work in real life and do the final project on it well i was lucky enough to i know the the tausk family who owns vermilion dam lodge and uh my plan originally was to own and operate a, a lodge which i thought that would be a cool idea but 
quickly I realized if I was going to do it at the level that I I would hold myself to do so, uh, I wasn't going to be able to fish much. So that right, that kind of right. went out the window. But <laughs> but I worked there from August through uh, the start of November, and I got to know guys like Luke and Bob Benson and Matt Seaford and, and really fish, you know, with all these guys and, and uh, just learn from them hand-to-hand, meeting them, seeing them every day. So that was really cool. And then come 2018, uh, 2018 is kind of the next real start to my fishing career. Um, my parents and I had a agreement that if I graduated college, which I was really not, I mean, I barely went to class. I got really good grades, but like zero out of hundreds on my attendance and shit. And I, the only reason <laughs> I finished college was because my mom, you know, I, she said, you, you finish what you start. And I was like, okay, I'm basically doing it for her. I, I have no idea where my where my diploma is, but she's got it somewhere. So I, I made her happy, right? So they, <laughs> the agreement was they'd buy me a boat for for my college, uh, my college reward, you know, basically. That's so they awesome. got me a 16 and a half foot Lund tiller, which was awesome. And starting 2018 was the first full year where where school basically didn't get in the way. You know, I I had spring and fall fishing all the way through. Long story short. So fast forward through these years, basically, I moved up to Wisconsin, uh, lived with uh, good buddy Sam Stone in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, um, got a job, just a job working at the at the local plant. Basically, it was uh, it was 12 hour shifts. We worked three to four days a week and we were both on the same schedule. And uh, we just we literally just musky fished any day off. We would either be heading south for open season or we'd pay heading anywhere in Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. His family's had a place on the uh, Manaqua chain for generations. So we would always go up there and and basically it was like it was the beginning of real life, having nobody that was pointing you in the direction of what you needed to do next or how you needed to do it. And uh, I was making plenty good money to basically afford just constant traveling when we weren't there yeah you're just sustaining it yep so it was it was pretty it was pretty damn cool i mean we both were absolutely musky obsessed and uh it was it was kind of the start of uh we're still mad at them you know just like (laughs) i i I need to go catch more and bigger fish of these these things as much as i can so that was that was kind of the start so i mean at that point and for all the way through 2020 we were i was located in uh Actually, I don't even know when I moved back. It had to have been late 2020, but for three, a little over three years, I was living in Wausau and we were just traveling a bunch. I mean, we we spent as much time as we could musky fishing, really targeting big fish. We didn't we didn't really fish too many of the numbers places in Wisconsin, so we were always hitting new new big fish water up there. And then the second that we started going to Minnesota, it was like, well, drive an extra 45 minutes here in Metro Minnesota, and when you see 15 fish that are pushing the 50 inch mark a weekend you know you're like well i don't need to go back to northern wisconsin if i don't have to so (laughs) over there as much as we could so yeah that was that was kind of the whole thing i i don't know if there was any other parts of that that question that i missed but yeah no i mean that was awesome i did I, yeah, it got me reminiscing back. I don't know, Gus, if you remember the days when we were in Wapaka, you know, on the little paddle boat throwing beetle spins for bass and, and yep. pike and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, you know, anytime I talk, and I know Gus can relate to this, but anytime you talk to somebody who 
gets the musky bug, you kind of just can relate to them instantly because it's like the exact same shit. You know, it starts out, you just, you, you kind of get it. And then it goes from zero to a hundred. It feels like real quick. And I think that's pretty awesome that you guys were just, you know, essentially working to fish, you know, you're, you got a perfect job that you can pretty much cram in as many hours as possible. And then, you know, okay, Hey, we got three, four days off. Let's go take a trip. And that's a great way to do it. Um, I guess I, I would be curious a little bit to hear about your time up at Vermilion. Gus and I got up there and fished the PMTT this last year, and that was our first time up there. And I got to be honest, I, I thought it was one of the cooler places I've ever been. Um, just absolutely. absolutely fell in love with the body of water, the size of fish that were there. Like they just carry their weight in a different way. It feels like up there, um, you know, got to lay eyes on some beasts. So, you know, is there any, any particular days up there that you can recall that were just like, holy shit, this is just, <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Vermilion is by far my favorite lake that I've ever been to, right? Like it was the first, it was the first love of like real musky fishing. Yeah, you never um, forget your first. And, and like I said, like the group, the group of guys that I was doing those high school trips with and when we were first really getting into the sport that I made fish with teeth with that was that was where we went so like that it was really like we were fishing around here and then like that was our first real step into like oh that's what musky fishing is right um so I mean days wise that stick out vermilion's got my personal best still um but I will tell you so in 2014 so I like I said we we were going up there like the second week of opener um so like middle June right and I had always had it in my mind and the way that the weather was kind of playing out was like, I, I want to say those keys outdoors episodes with uh, Jason Hammernick where they were hitting them during spawn on, on Mille Lacs. That yeah. was like what I had kind of planned out in my head. Like we're going to go hit the spawning bays and we'll crush them. Right. Well, for the entire 2014 season that we did it, um, I think we ended up with like maybe two 30 inches lost a giant. But like we would, we would, we were kids from Chicago. This was our first real musky fishing experience. And we would see like 10, 50 inches a day, like in a bunch of other like big fish, right? Like big fish for us was like 45 was like, that's a really big one. And it's still no negatives against, you know, whatever your real big fish, uh, you know, caliber or whatever is for anybody listening, but more or less like we're like in these bays, like throwing a double cowgirl and it's like opener and these giant fish are like they're coming in lazy as can be, but it was impossible for us to really branch out and do anything different. Well, we got to meet Luke that year and they were doing the open water thing, right? Like dead middle of the lake throwing monster medusas and we'd be hopping from bay to bay and we'd be like driving by them in the middle of the lake and we were like giving them shit, you know, like in our heads, we're looking at each other going, you couldn't pay me to go out in the middle and throw a monster Medusa. That looks terrible, you know? <laughs> you know, so we did that for like the whole first 2014 trip, right? 2015 comes around. We do our same plan. We still see them out in open water. And they're telling us like, we got to try it. So for the first three and a half days of our second trip, we had the same experience, caught a couple tiny ones, seen a bunch of fish. And finally, we're like, what do we have to lose? Like, like, we don't know what we're doing, but, like, let's just go try it, right? So we talked to Ed. We talked to Luke. They grab a few baits hanging on, on the Vermilion Dam uh, wall, like, um, 
kind of like the main area. There's a bunch of baits that they got hung up there. And so they hand us like a pounder double dog, a deuce, a couple other big rubber baits. And like, we got like medium heavy rods and like, we got <laughs> like nothing, nothing set up. Right. Well, long story short, we probably got to the head of lakes back then. We probably got there like right after sunrise and by 1130, we were already back in the cabin at VDL. Everybody with our PBs were all, we're already all hammered. We had no idea what we were doing, <laughs> what? right? Like, and we're, we're probably, we're too, we're probably too young. I got to think back, but I mean, 1130 in the morning, everybody's got their own, our new PBs. Like all we were doing was following around the next Cisco that would pop in the middle of the 40 foot basin. And that was right. like how we tracked around the lake. And we wow. were just throwing random baits too heavy for our rods. And like, it was just an insane morning. Right. Um, we That's finished cool. that trip. We ended up with like 11 fish, one over 50. I, I, of course, ended up with the smallest one out of all my buddies in that group. I ended up like <laughs> one for 11 on the old Jimmy from Innovations thing has terrible hooking percentage, but every month. He's <laughs> um, and, it, and it was kind of like the start of like the eye opener of of like I need to like. I need to like take the open water thing and go as many places I as I possibly can. Like the amount of enormous fish we were contacting and seeing was wild. I had never thought about like, or like, I just never did it, you know? And then it just kind of gave, totally. gave me the confidence throughout the rest of my career to basically try new things, get out of the box uh, along those lines. But to finish the, finish the question on some days, the, I mean, the next coolest day was obviously catching a 54 and a half in the figure eight off of Steely Island. That was pretty wild. Um, and I mean, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of wild days over the years. There was, it was the first that when I worked there in 2017, it was the first time that I had ever fished it in the summer through fall, which was really cool. So I, we had always done our trips in the June timeframe, but there was one day in, in the late fall, it was negative 23 with the windshield and we were, all we did was cast and we had my, we had my 16 and a half foot lund up there and I'll never forget, you know, the front, front side of the boat gets filled with baits and I'm going through the neck down and I can see these giant waves coming and I go, guys, you're just going to have to hold on. We can't slow down. And I built this deck box, right? And both my buddies are sitting on the front and the lid doesn't have a lock. And every time they would hit a wave, they would fly up. And I was just waiting for their fingers to get crushed under the lid. And by the time they got through all the waves, they had monster medusas and pounders and all these rubber weights hooked in their freaking. Oh, it was hilarious. It was so, so many good times up there. That's unbelievable. And I, I... I got to add to this, too, because the next, so the first day that we all had our PBs, yeah. by the morning, well, the next day, my good buddy who, actually we didn't all three of us four had our pbs the one kid didn't have one our good buddy brandon jarva and if you guys knew him he's like he's like the happiest go lucky human like more happy for you than he would be happy for himself right so he got the most drunk that night right sure we're, we're, and he didn't even catch one so we're awake <laughs> at like 4 30 in the morning and he's like oh just pick me up at noon and we're like no you're going so we drag him onto the boat we show up to head of lakes it's still before 5 a.m. The trolling motor's not even in, and he's probably still half drunk, you know. Grabs his rod with the reg dog, 
cast it out there three pulls in we just stopped in the middle of nowhere we still have no idea what we're doing three pulls <laughs> got one trolling motors not in so then that, that was his pb 46 and a half oh my god yeah so it was it was it was just like the beginning of the end it was it was so fun but yeah that trip will be one that i will for never forget that's awesome I still had my 16 and a half foot tiller when I was working there in 2017. It was kind of almost the beginning of like some real guide trips. Like I had taken, you know, my dad out or buddies that don't fish and stuff like that. But I had, uh, I had, there's a group, um, a father, wife, and then two sons that were about my age, um, staying at VDL and they, they didn't plan on getting a guide, but they, they ended up, they really, the kids wanted to do musky fishing. And so Ed's like, hey, you want to take these these two guys out, uh, two kids out for a day? And then long story short, their their parents was, were going to be a follow boat. So that was my first experience, number one, doing a guide trip with a follow boat. So that that's mm-hmm. almost, well, well, we'll we'll add to it, right? So the follow boat thing, I quickly learned that, that because the parents didn't know how the spots were going to lay out, and usually, like, I would drive around past the spot to come back to one or whatever, however it laid out to fish the spot. Well, multiple times I was bringing them to like spot on the spots. Cause it was like a good day. We were seeing lots of fish. So I was not really wasting time fishing through the entire sections. And uh, multiple times the, the, the parents would, and, and no fault to them really, but they would, they would stop and cut us off and be right on top of the, the spot on the spot and because i did like oh, no. the long way around and i'm just like and and honestly it was probably i like don't get pissed i'm like not a person that really gets worked up whatsoever but eventually i was like you guys are gonna have to tell your parents like follow us <laughs> like you guys like that was three spots and out of the last six that they just literally drove up on and probably burned um, I'm losing my uh, shit here, guys. But, uh, <laughs> but long story short, it was like some. It was pretty quickly after I had just gotten my first beavers, and uh, I don't know if you've you guys been to Vermilion Dam Lodge or fished up in that little arm at all. No, we didn't make it there. We stayed on the east side when we okay. when we were yeah, see, like, lodging and fishing. Like, yeah, see, like the west side's like where I had spent most of my time, just always going up there and staying out of VDL. Which mm-hmm. these sites fun to fish now that I've spent more time there. Yeah. But so our day's basically done. The one kid lost like a giant on this spinner bait that I had made up, like a 54 incher. And mm. we were they were kind of losing their steam. I knew it was gigantic and I was like, oh my God, yeah. But um they were kind of losing their steam. So we're making our way in, right? And finally we're, we get around the corner and I go, all right, we're gonna at least just hit this last spot in Dago Bay, which is just the bay, like two bays down from from bdl and there's one there's one little like very obvious weed point that comes off of it and i had just gotten beavers for like maybe a few days prior the weekend prior from the uh from the fall outing and i'm sitting there throwing throwing a beaver for probably one of the first few times and i'm the third bait through and all of a sudden this absolutely enormous fish chases my beaver and neither of them saw it and i am like I am shaking like a leaf back Freaking there. I'm out. like, guys, you guys, like, that was 56, 57 all day, right? So then we, we, it, this is on the first inside turn to this little weed point. I get past the weed point. Here comes another absolute moose just flying in on my beaver. 
And I'm like, should we hit it again? Like, we got to go. And they're like, they're, they were done. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm going to drop you guys off. And like, I'm going to go right oh, back yeah. out. Like, that, those were two enormous fish. Like, the other one was probably 52, 53, right? So, anyway, I dropped them off. I'm like driving back and I'm like, dude, if I catch this thing by myself, I don't even know how I'm going to take the picture, number one. But like, like, I, this is going to be a shit show. Just right. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I didn't, I didn't, I was, I probably didn't even fish it right. I was so scared, you know, like, I was like, this oh, is yeah. like, I didn't even know they take them this big, you know? So I didn't catch it. I go in and I'm, I'm talking to Luke. I go, Luke, God, that I just, we saw two on that little weed point in Dago. I go, the thing was 57. I swear to God. And he goes, oh, it's 56 and three quarters. We caught it in June on a, or in August on a beaver. I go, Jesus Christ. I go, well, at least, you know, my, my upper 50, you know, I, my calculation was pretty damn, pretty damn good. But like, yeah, that's solid. Know, like, he's like, yeah, she loves beavers. We got her in August, 56. And three quarters. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Of course. Jeez. you're not i mean you don't see fish that size very often so it's like it's always hard to guess and i know i, I don't i don't know if you if you tuned in at all about it during our, our vermilion kind of recap but you know i i can relate to like how you're saying you know you almost go back and fish the spot and you're like nervous because mm-hmm. like you know we we raised the giant fish pre-fishing and you know we were on that spot early on on day one obviously trying to go back on that fish and, and catch it and like, I just remember like, yeah, obviously, you know, you, you fish in PMTTs, you have those jitters or whatever, but like fishing vermilion was a whole different world of like nerves for yes. a PMTT. Cause it's like, okay, yeah, obviously this fish is like meaningful just solely because of the tournament, but also I'm a Northern Wisconsin guy. I don't get the chance to fish these types of waters with these beasts. So it's like, it's not only like you're trying to catch a tournament fish, but it also might be your PB. So it's like, and you know it's sitting there mm-hmm. and so it's like i'm reeling in this bucktail and i'm like why am i so fucking nervous like i'm yeah. literally like i got butterflies in my throat because yeah. i'm like at any second we know where this fish is sitting like it, it probably hadn't moved mm-hmm. you know and yeah so i i totally get it and that's that know. brings me up the funniest story ever so i'm on <laughs> green bay um with my good buddy dom winicky he's caught plenty of big fish like fish with me forever right and I, I think it was, it was when I had blown a hub assembly. I was going, he, so he dropped me off at the dock. I went to go get it fixed and there's, we were running a GoPro like loop and whatever. And like a few days later, I download all the footage. Right. And he was fishing that whole time that, that I was going to get the thing fixed. Well, I'm watching him throw this walk the dog and it's like, like just flying in, like no chance at all for a fish to ever bite it. And I, I, <laughs> he's sitting next to me as we're watching the video he goes dude i was just so scared that i was gonna have to i was gonna hook a giant by myself and like like he, he's musky fished a ton but it's always like with me or our, my other buddy who musky fishes all the time so he's never caught one solo and he's like dude i was just imagining like hooking into a 53 by myself and like so <laughs> it's like he didn't even give a fish a chance he's like i know i was just frightened <laughs> it's funny when you messing with fish that are that big it just adds like you know because for us like you catch a low to mid 40s and like that's a great fish for northern wisconsin you know like mm-hmm. you know it still gets the nerves going you're you're all jacked up but like you get on a body of water like a green bay or vermilion and you know you're seeing these 50 plus plus inch freaking behemoths and it's just like 
yeah, it gets it it does a little something different to you and it turns men into children and <laughs> guys into women yeah. like it does. It really Screeching. does. There's something oh, yeah. different about those special waters that have those ridiculous sized fish that like that's that's really was my draw to Minnesota, like in general. Like we experienced sure. it pretty much right away with those those trips back in the day, but I was always like just having the access to like those size classes of fish was like that was when I came home and musky fished, I was always just like, that's what really got me going. Like that was mm -hmm. the adrenaline that I was chasing. Yeah. I, st I still think about the fish I lost on Vermilion during the PMTT to this day. Mm -hmm. I, I have no, I have no idea how big it was, but I'll put my, I'll put the flag in the ground and say it was still the biggest fish I've ever seen. I don't, I, I you know, I don't want to read oh, Vermilion's Vermilion's <laughs> one of two places that I can say I've seen the biggest fish I've ever seen for sure. Yeah. I yeah. I, the other I other being Eagle probably uh, or or another Minnesota. No, water. the other was uh in northwestern Minnesota. Oh nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, DL area. And that one yeah. wasn't even behind a bait. That one was just sitting in a sand pocket in four feet of water, and I was like like I didn't realize that was what I was fishing for. Like the head on it was like, <laughs> like, like I literally had never seen a fish that big and it was flat, calm and sunny. And we were literally trolling motoring in to go because our batteries were dead. We were going uh, in early morning. We had just night fished the whole time and we were like going to go to the hotel and we're going at like 1.1 miles an hour, just getting our way in. And all of a sudden I'm like, dude, look at the, it was like a school bus. I was like, I like, that's, that's not what I picture in my mind while I'm casting, but like that, right. I was like that. I've never seen a fish that big. It was yeah. disgusting. The boat launch uh, fish, <laughs> boat launch beast. <laughs> yeah. Always a fish yeah. in a boat launch. Always, always. I always neglect <laughs> them too, but when I don't, it always seems like there's a giant right there. <laughs> Yeah, always a resort mosky, always a boat launch mosky. Well, th that's a good segue into into kind of your guiding business because I I would say that you're and I'm I'm excited to hear more about it. But I would say you're guiding on if anyone's listening to this and and wants to book a trip with you here for this upcoming season, like you're you're guiding on some some big fish waters here in Wisconsin that you seem to kind of tap into. So do you feel you know I guess you can you can kind of touch a little bit more on it, but. Do you feel like Geneva is kind of starting to kick out some of that potential with some of those big fish that you were kind of talking about with the Minnesota, you know, Vermilion, Eagle Lake thing, where you're starting to see, you know, kind of those top end fish like grow a little bit bigger than, you know, we have up in Northwoods? Um, I would I would say yes and no. Yes. And the fact that it's growing a lot of big fish really fast, but they are certainly they haven't made it to their potential yet. It's still it's still on the young side of, of things in that category. So they started stocking it in 2010. Okay. Next, next oh, wow. year class that they put in was 2012. And that class is like right in that 49 and a half to 50 range. And the first year class is like 51 and a half to 52 and a half. Um, what strain are these fish that they're putting in there? So the first, first four or five stockings, I want to say were all the upper Chippewa Wisconsin river. Strain, and then in 2018 they started adding in the the leech lake strain which oh uh, wow. we we did catch one um we caught well we've caught a ton of leech lakers um which that's a pretty interesting topic alone like which don't let me forget i'll go back into that but we caught one of we caught a 46 and like a hair um inch leech laker very obvious leech laker and that is like that perfect 
first year class guaranteed. Um, we caught that, I want to say early to mid October, and that's that five and a half, six year old fish at 46 inches. And really, uh, I mean, yeah. And, and Holy I know shit. overall, like regardless of strain, the, the Wisconsin strain, the leech lake that they're putting in there, all of these fish are growing at a well above average growth rate in comparison to your average uh, body of water. Why, um, why do you think that is? I, I, I truly don't know. Like, I, I wish I could, I could put a finger on it. I just, I just know that, that that's what from a few of their nettings, um, the, the, the stocking classes have shown, whether it be like the fin clips or whatever, but I mean, the lake in general overall is like beyond healthy, um, has so much just like food for these fish. I mean, every species that gets caught out of there grows giant. It's uh, it's just a beyond healthy fishery overall. So, I mean, if if that has something to do with it, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it was at one point like top two or top three highest Cisco populations in the state. I don't know if that's true. I've heard I've heard people bring up that it, there's, you know, the Cisco populations have died off. And, and honestly, I've only fished it for that last year was my first full season ever fishing it. The year before I started fishing it at the end of September. And before that, I only spent like two days ever on the fishery. So I don't have the year, like the, the real quality time spent out there that some people do from fishing other species. But I can tell you the health of the fishery is impressive. I will say the one thing that I noticed, say this past season for finally fishing it for a full year, the year before, uh, the second spot I ever hit, we caught a 48. Um, then after that, of course, it seemed like finding those upper forties, really big fish for me was tough. We were catching fish every day, but a lot of, a lot of like the upper 30 inch range, right? Mm -hmm. This past year, I will say it is impressive as, as like as hell, how, quality the size ranges are really like there's there's tons of fish in the upper 30s to be expected from the somewhat younger fishery itself but there's a lot of big fish that that are in there it's uh it was it was reassuring to me basically because i had i had thought about starting to fish out there you know in years prior and last or two years ago now um, when i really did start to guide out there um, was when I figured the stocking classes and the year classes were big enough in all ranges to make it worthwhile to guide, to not feel like I'm just going to go out there and catch a dink or have like one big fish opportunity for a week or something like that. But I, I will say this last year we caught a healthy nine, the low 30s all the way through the upper 40s. And then we obviously got we got 150, lost another for sure over 50. And I mean, we saw another handful of fish that were in that 49 to 52 inch class that they're just, they're built like extraordinarily well. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it was, it's been refreshing for me having basically the Fox chain as the vast majority of my fishing that I do around here, but it's, it's been fun. I'm a clear water guy through and through. I love clear water. I'm not a huge dark water guy. So the chain can get from time to time annoying for me, but um, the chain put out a bunch of giant fish this year, but Geneva, Geneva's got a really exciting future. I've been saying it to everybody, but it will have 54s and 55s that come out of it. And I think the next, probably I'll go on the higher end of things, but probably the next eight years, is, there's going to be some really uh, 
really impressive fish to come out of it. Yeah, you're gonna get top end Wisconsin fish, and then in eight by eight years, you'll have top end Leech Lake fish. And I mean, the, the fifty that I caught was a Wisconsin fish for sure. Whether it was the first or second year class, whatever. But even even if it was the first year class, that's a thirteen year old Wisconsin fish, healthy as can be at fifty seems... inches. That's pretty solid growth rates, even if it's from the first year class. That's wild. I don't, yeah, I don't know why or how that could be. Put some steroids in the water or something. I don't know, man. Cause well, I mean, it's just nuts. I know, I know overall when you're stocking muskies as a new introduction to, to a fishery, those first few year classes always have like the, like the super giant type of genetic possibility. Cause they don't have the they don't have the same competition. It's not like right. the, the they're, they're just the, they have the world in front right. of them, you know, to grow right. big and grow fast. I think that, that like top end super fast growth rate will, will kind of even out as time goes on. I still think it'll be above average, but I mean, those first three to four year classes are just like skyrocketing. They're just turning into like super fish. Jeez. Are they, so are they, cause I really actually haven't looked into as much as I, I mean, I've, I've, uh, seen you fishing there and catching a whole bunch on social media, but are they stocking Geneva every other year and how many per acre about are they doing? You know, I wish I, I want to say they're stocking it every year, but I, I could be wrong. They've kind of, they've kind of bounced around with at least the DNR stocking. I know like from 2018, 2017, 2018, 2019, they were doing every year. And that was also when they introduced the Leech Lake strain and stuff. I want to say that every year there's at least the uh, like additional stocking for muskie clubs from Chicagoland. I think they do the vast majority of um, like the added uh, stocking numbers. But mm -hmm. I, I'm, I can't confirm on the DNR being every year or every other year. But I want to say that they stock around 2,500 to 3,000, which it's a 5,000 acre lake. Okay. So it, that's it pretty good. That's it, very it, it, good. It still blows my mind that like when I go and I see 30 or 40 fish a day, it seems like there's zillions of fish in there, even with the vast acreage that, you know, yeah. they're stocking it to. So it's, it's been impressive. It still seems like it's, it's got a lot of growth to go. Don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. like, the number of mid 40 and upper 40 inch fish that we caught this year and like contacts with them, not just like randomly catch one every, you know, a few weeks or whatever, like you see them. It, there's a lot of, it just seems like the ones that they're stocking are doing really well. And like most of them are, are living, which is, which is great to see, but they got a great food source. So sweet. It's, it's been fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that will be a fishery that I think is on the list for us to, just stop by to at least try once but for all this talk on these large fish and it seems like you have a magnet for them you want to touch on at all how you how do you how do you tackle the clear water i guess is a for me not knowing anything really about geneva what clarity are we talking uh is it like heavy weed based rock based are you doing open water stuff night stuff uh what's what's a good go-to on get getting these you know, fooling these giant fish in clear water? So number one, Geneva is probably, it, it varies, but I would say it's it's every day somewhere between 20 and 30 foot clarity. 
Um, it's wow. it's like a super clear lake. Like it's it's Jeez. no joke how clear it is. Um, wow. I think I think what what kind of weighs in my favor in that fashion is like I've I've spent a lot of time on super clear lakes. Like if you go to Metro Minnesota now, Tonka, uh, White Bear, like places that these like rusty trays have gotten in. Mm -hmm. um, and like, like, I remember the last time I was on White Bear in, in Metro Minnesota, it was like the weeds grew out to like 29 feet and the clarity was like asinine, you know, and, oh my God. and like to a degree there's, there's time frames, and this goes with, with Geneva as well. Like there's time frames you basically are watching your bait, like throughout the whole cast. And you're like, if there's a fish here, like I, I can see it. Like there's mm -hmm. no way, like, so you, you can lose your confidence that way big time. And I think a lot of people that aren't used to clear water, they have a tendency to get too tight to the structure just because they're like, if there's one here, I could see it, you know, type of scenario. But for me on Geneva, um, so much of it, especially big fish related is, is just timing. Like, I mean, in clear water, these fish don't have to, like they can see everything, right? Like you, you can't, mm -hmm can't sneak up on of them um like they can't sit right behind their food all day they can't just follow around a cisco school and like have the cisco's be cool with it or whatever but geneva lays out a lot like a lot of the northern wisconsin clear systems it's got a lot of got a lot of quality weeds but it's got like it's got sand grass and um i i'll never forget when i first really understood what sand grass was way back in the day fishing a couple of the the northern wisconsin lakes um i i was like this shit this is disgusting you know you get it like on a backlash and your bait sinks to the bottom and then then you you grow up a little bit or you get more experience you realize how many of the fish really use sand grass and i mm -hmm. i show everybody that gets in my boat especially once it grows in and everything like how important six inches of shag carpet on the ground like on, on the bottom can be so I think when it comes down to it, like I'm, I'm fortunate of, of course, and so are you guys with time on the water, just really like I, I auto chart like a machine. I know mm -hmm. exactly. I, I overuse my waypoints. Like yep. I want to, I want to know how the spot lays out. And there, there's like one big area on Geneva that everybody fishes. It's called the flats uh, for good reason. Really. I think it, it, it lays out similar to like majority of people's normal fishing. Basically, like it has weeds up shallow, it grows weed patches, um, you know, further out. But there's there comes a time where you can only get away with half knowing things and having success where like the clear water doesn't really it doesn't favor like your your average angler as easily as, say, like a fox chain where the lakes are smaller. You can go to the brake line, cast shallower and, and come across fish. Um, so really my suggestion is one, 20 feet is not like, you're not deep. Like there's so many guys that get in my boat and we'll be in 41 casting bucktails and they'll be like, like, I can't believe how deep we are. And I'm like, well, you got to remember like these fish are not sitting on the bottom. Number one, especially when they're active. Um, yep. number two, like clear water fish are, and I loved the way I, I learned this specific verbiage through Steve Herbeck. He talked about clear water fish and dark water fish clear water fish are like cheetahs like they can't sneak up on their food so they they're like speed oriented when they feed they feed from a long distance they they use speed to their advantage they're top of the line predators so like they fly and eat their bait 
as opposed to dark water fish or more pumas, like sit in the trees, sit on an edge and like wait for their food to come by and like pounce and eat them. Right. So Mm -hmm. like clear water fish, when I'm fishing, I'm, I'm like really not, I'm not worried about, you know, I, I, I guess I don't know how, where I'm exactly going with that, but but really, it's just a confidence in, in being mm-hmm. as far away from whatever structure you're looking to really fish as possible. Long casts are, are huge to it. Um, you yeah. got to be committed to your figure eight. As much as you think you can see everything, so many of the fish that we catch come out of absolutely nowhere at the boat and you end up catching them in the second turn. Um, the ones that usually are super high and chasing your bait in like classic, uh, like a classic you know, um, I don't know, fish chasing your bait in, those are the ones mm-hmm. that actually I see turn off most times. Like even <clears> if I'm flat out burning a huh. bucktail and there's one just as high as that bait, um, like those are the ones that you just come in dead and they see your boat and go and, and turn off. Like those are the ones that I really don't catch as often as the ones that come straight vertical out of nowhere from under the boat. We're tracking that bait from a long distance and like the cheetah, uh yeah. just come out of nowhere and try to eat and you kind of convert them both side but I, I, a lot of it is just you got to be confident and having your boat in, in slightly deeper water and knowing that these fish move a long distance to to feed and uh if you can feel like you see everything you probably can but it's 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 just like any other fishery you fish like the, mm-hmm. the shallow in the in the start of the year as the weeds progress um, fish the best deep weeds as that sand grass grew in and grew out. I'm really taking note of what depth or how that sand grass uh, edge kind of lays out, whether it's six inches tall or four feet tall. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how many fish will just shoot up out of the sand grass, come eat a bait that you would have never expected them to be there. And uh, it's it's just like any others. I will also say I'll add in there that don't be afraid of the sun. I had I had way, way more good days in bright sun, no clouds at all out there than I had when it was completely cloudy, overcast, windy, like your classic musky conditions that you would think on a super clear water system would be good. I had way less good days during that than I did flat, calm, and sunny. I'm not afraid of the sun. I like like the fact that these fish can see a bait from further away. Uh, It seems like you get get more action on those sunny days so i i am not afraid of it and i'm also used to the boat traffic as well so boat traffic doesn't doesn't bother me i know uh i know going up by you guys or going to minnesota it's nice to get a get away from some of the boat traffic but i can tell Mm -hmm. you they live in it every day they're used to it and most of the time they they actually use it to their advantage so yeah yeah, i know i i know i think gus has a question for you but i just wanted to i guess mine's not so much of a question i'd you mentioned you don't know where you're going with that, but I thought you did a great job of painting the picture because, you know, as guys that don't fish clear water as much, you know, we've started to kind of get into it. I know Gus a lot more than I have um, and some of his exploratory stuff. But when you're talking about the difference between like a cheetah chase and a puma, it I think it paints a really good picture because, you know, it's like when Gus and I sometimes we'll get into a certain lake where we know, you know, I'll, t- I'll say like it feels like we're almost combat fishing. Because mm-hmm. like we're we're up in the shit, you know, you're you're you know trying to make super precise casts at certain structure that you know is there, whether it's visible above the water, you just know from experience that it's below the water. You know, and you're talking about these fish like chasing down baits from 20, 
plus feet away. Like that doesn't happen on some of the dirtier systems that we fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I, I love the fact that you're just like, you got to have confidence in it. Cause you really do. Like you're talking about throwing a bucktail, your, your, you know, depth finder saying you're sitting in 41 feet of water. I mean, that sounds asinine mm-hmm. to a guy that's used to fishing, you know, three to call it six feet you know, on whether it's a cabbage edge or, you know, laid down timber or whatever, it's just a whole different sport. Um, so I guess I just wanted to touch on that. I thought you did a good job at painting that picture. Cause I kind of started to visualize like, man, okay. So if you're rolling a, a bucktail, whether it's a, you know, a, you know, a bigger model or whatever, you're throwing a grenade and you're zipping it in, like you could see a fish in clear water coming. They're not ambushing it per se, but they're just tracking it down from a long distance. And, you know, mm-hmm. that might be like, you're saying you're better hookup percentage is Gus. I don't know if you had a, a question there. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's all, that's all I, I mean, wanted to say multiple, honestly, because <laughs> I'm just <laughs> diving into some clear water up here, uh, tapping mm-hmm. into some clear lakes that don't have weeds, some clear lakes that have sand grass, some clear lakes that have, uh, you know, um, what milfoil. is it? Milfoil. Yeah. Milfoil, coontail, sometimes cabbage, really not much cabbage in a lot of the clear lake scenarios, but yeah, I've I've seen that in the few times those fish in clear water act a little different. They like a lot of times, Max, you've seen it too. Like that's where we get those follows that happen after our first or second term where then they show up and you're like, they must be coming in from stupid distances away. Yeah. And um, so mainly as as we we grew up fishing in the Eagle River chain, so dirty water. And that's honestly where we started to branch out to is continue to fish dirty water uh i always fish slow do you like to fish pretty fast through spots or since you know geneva well do you break it down pretty like precisely um i definitely got more to touch on that too i was going to ask something about uh when you say you're back and off structure if if say you don't cast on the crest of that spot the shallowest spot will you do a second pass shallower sometimes or I know I just yeah. asked two questions there, but no, that's, that's good. So, so I will say that on both sides of the spectrum there, like in clear water, I, and like overall, I've always been a person that seems to move the boat as fast as I possibly can fish my baits quicker. But over the years, I've definitely learned like on your darker systems, fishing the Wisconsin river, fishing, basically the, uh, even the Fox chain, you can say. When they don't have that capability of realizing where your bait is or seeing it or feeling it, you have to slow things down for sure. Now, I will say in the clear water, it's nice because I, I can always waver whether I'm reeling my baits or working my baits super fast or not. I can always waver on moving through with the boat quicker. Now, I will say I've gotten I've gotten better, and it's, it's probably more so associated with guiding itself. Like... If I go out for myself, I'm going to move through things super quick. Just like, it's just the, just the way I like to fish, but not everybody has the capability of whether it just be skill wise or, um, or really, really anything, but, but just moving through spots as fast as I once did, I've, I've slowed things down. So I, I mean, on average, I'll say I work through a spot about 0.7, right? Okay. And yeah. in clear water, I always waver towards being able to work faster you don't have to make your casts as tight because like i said the way these fish hunt the way these fish react um when they're active they're gonna they're automatically going to have to move 
uh, a far distance to engage on their food. So you kind of mm -hmm. you can kind of cheat the system there. I will say that when I'm fishing, whenever I'm fishing denser cover, so whether like they're really stuck in the 20 foot sand grass or they're in the best uh, deep milfoil and cabbage in the 17 foot zone, I'll slow things down big time. And I think I, I really learned that from um, Matt Seaford. He was like, I was always accustomed to fishing blades super quick over thick cover, whether it be like just to bring it above the cover or whatever. But when he, he really like opened my mind to the fact that like sound and vibration and your visual, like, like the visual window that these fish can see when they're sitting in that super thick weed cover is like not that big, right? So the thicker the cover, the slower I'll fish through it. Make sure you take mm -hmm. as many casts as you possibly can, shorter distance, uh, like width-wise between casts, and you're really making your presence known. Because even, even in the guiding aspect, before I really made it um, a point to kind of slow down when fishing thick weed cover, it seemed like the second or third bait was always the baits that, that had the action, when mm -hmm. in reality it should have been the first. But half the time the first bait, whether it be the noise or the vibration from the bait, just kind of woke the fish up and pulled them out of their spot. And then mm -hmm. the second or third bait was the one that they actually got to visually see and cue in on and make make that kind of engage with the bait. So in terms of in terms of how quick, like I said, it's about my average, the 0 0.6, 0 0.7. The, the second you get going too much faster, um, it just seems like the the quality of the casts aren't aren't that great from the vast majority of people. But um, if I can get away with it, if it's not as thick cover, if I'm fishing shallow sand, shallow rock, shallow wood, I'll I'll crank through as fast as I can just to just to kind of cover it. But um, what was the second part? Well, uh, the second part is uh, go ahead, Gus. Here, I mean, I I guess I just want to touch on got it anything bit, on that? Go for it. Go for it. Well, yeah. It, it, so what you said is interesting, and, and I think what Gus is kind of alluding to is is something that. I, I think I kind of want to flush out a little bit right now because I feel like it was just kind of a natural progression that I saw from Gus as he spent more time on the water um, of like slowing down and repeating spots. And I remember distinctly, like, you know, when we were growing up, like we would have, you know, okay, we'd have two hours to go musky fish and it would just be like, all right, we're going to go hit, you know, this bar, then we're going to go hit this point. Then we're going to go hit this shoreline. And then if we don't see anything, or maybe if we see one, we're done. And if we catch one, great. If we don't, whatever. And then it's like Gus kind of kept staying on the water and like really honing his craft, you know, we'll go to a certain Lake and it's like, we'll just only hit a certain kind of stretch. And like, we'll just do it three, four five times. And like Absolutely. when we started doing that stuff, it took me a little bit to like comprehend what we were doing. And like, I didn't start to realize that how effective it was until like, you know, we'd go through it once, maybe we wouldn't see one, maybe we would, we'd circle back, go through it again. All of a sudden you're seeing a different fish or we'd hook up. It's like, well, where the, where the hell was that one? And whether it was bite window oriented or just the fact that you either had an angle change or a bait change, like that made all the difference. And that's when it started to click for me, like, okay, you know, a lot of these fish will start to kind of pack up, you know, on certain days and like, doing that same stretch two, three, mm -hmm. four times, like becomes extremely effective. Uh, not only just picking out the one fish, maybe you saw on the first pass, but like getting other ones to move and stuff like that. So I think the second part of the question was like, are you, you know, fishing these same spots multiple times, 
angle changes, depth changes, stuff like that. Yep, I, and I, I completely agree with that because I can guarantee you when I first started musky fishing, like when we found fish, we would just take that pass over and over. And then like kind of in the middle stretch of my career of musky fishing, it was like it seemed tough to go back and fish the same stretch for whatever reason. It was always like new spot. Let's find that new fish. Da, 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 yeah. da. Oh, that one's but, not biting. So let's just you yeah, know, leave exactly. it. Yeah. yeah. But I can, yeah. <laughs> I, I can say we're, we're a little fortunate with how often we're, we're, we're able to be on the water and, and kind of dial in where these fish are located that without mm -hmm. a doubt, I will say there are the time frames that like, we're going to go, especially like this fall. Like I, there was three spots that I had a lot of fish on and it was like, well, like our game plan is literally we're going to just cycle through these three spots. Right. And we're going to attempt to plan or time which spot for that day is, it seems to be re like responding best. We're going to try to time that out best um, for what our, you know, planned for windows would be. Right. But mm -hmm. I would say that, yeah, I definitely go through spots a lot. I mean, there's time frames and it I, I see it more on Geneva than I would say like the chain, for example. It's it's just a it's a different it's a little bit of a bigger system. So fish I think move around a little bit more. But like once you have your few packs of fish or fish the weeds are really growing in there. So there's a pack of fish there. Like if you ever see one fish, you know there's five there. You see five, yeah. you know there's fifteen. <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes it might be even like there's one fish there right now. And like, maybe there's not five more there right now, but like when the mm -hmm. windows open, that's where they're sliding to type of thing. Like yeah, that's yeah. the spot 100%. that they're feeding off of. And that, that I've seen a lot. And especially even on smaller systems, like the smaller the system, I feel like the more timing related you have to be when you're hitting the spots. And the worst, best thing you can do is just keep hitting the spot over and over because you're going to be there when the window opens. Right. So like having yeah. that, like you can always, you can always fish your way into like oblivion. If you try too many different things or like you're, you like, like how this is, this is something I always say, like, let's say it's midsummer. It's, it's a very classic time frame, and you fish through your three best spots and you didn't see anything. So now you go exploring, you try different places, different by, uh, baits you're and you just keep doing it. Right. Well, mm -hmm. you might be doing something completely wrong, but I always advise trying new things and doing things that are different. Right. Mm -hmm. But you might be fishing yourself way away from the pattern. And it was, it was just simply a timing thing. So like yeah. going back to what you started with on the spots you started with might be the bite, but you got to remember that like, like it, it can be as simple as timing. We know these fish don't eat all day, every day. Um, we know that like a lot of times, especially nowadays you get on a, more pressured water you got to be there when they're biting doing the correct thing during mm -hmm. that time frame otherwise you're basically right. trying something when you shouldn't be and that's that's the tough thing within the game it's the game within the game it's the fun it's the fun part for that's me that's the like, mind really enjoy yeah I, that's I, the I fun that. mind games with yourself yep. and i know there's many a days i get off the water and like maybe we went and tried some things and then we got back and we caught like the back end of the window i could tell like we had a chance and then we caught, saw a couple lazy fish and it was like, shit, I, we might've played around for too long, but if you don't play around, you never find that next thing or the next wave of fish that moved up to this or the next, you know, bait category or presentation that really then gives you another random four to six fish day that you wouldn't have had if you didn't try it. So it's, it's the game within the game there for sure. 
but yeah, I, I will say that there's always, it, I, I, once you get on the water a few days in a row and a week and time goes on, I, I have my, my kind of guarantee fish on that spot somewhere and I'll revisit them throughout the day in the windows. But mm -hmm. no matter what throughout the day, I'm, I'm continuing to add in a different presentation or fishing a spot from a different angle or, or trying and checking yeah. out a spot or two on the way to another one, even if it's five, 10 minutes or a drive by with side imaging, whatever it may be, but you got to add that stuff in, but it's the game within the game. You gotta, gotta be careful on both sides, but can never go wrong fishing where you, where you just saw a fish. Yeah. You can get, you can get trapped into fishing too many spots just as much as I've personally been more times than not trapped into fishing too few spots and being too stubborn i'd say that's what i have a flaw in myself but it it lends into some decent days you know finding Definitely. fish on a spot that i damn near spot lock on for 20 minutes um but uh i know you probably have the benefit of also like you know running through multiple baits i was gonna ask you how how important is uh our blades incorporated into your game on a year, like day in and out basis, June through, or I guess May in Geneva through uh, end of the season is blades every day, all day, all season well, or April through December. Uh, there's at least a blade running for at least some time frame. Like a, I'm fortunate again to, to have Northern Illinois. So not a closed season. I fish can fish it year round. Uh, most mm -hmm. of the time I start personally in that like late, march time frame but i start guiding the first of april usually okay. and i can tell you this last year was by far the best blade year that i have ever had in my entire life um what i can Same account it to i'm not entirely sure but i will say that this last year was eye-opening to me how many different situations how many different circumstances moods of fish um etc that having a fish simply engage on a blade, come to the boat and be converted boat side because of how quality blades are at, at their boat side convertibility, basically. Um, yeah. How productive that can be day in and day out, whether the fish are going crazy or they're not. And uh, for me, especially on the Geneva side of things, the addition of the grenade has been, uh, it's probably my favorite bait. It's just, it's just been a blast. It's, it's so fun to fish adding in the vertical aspect of a bucktail. And really when it first came out, it, the vast majority of it for me was using it in open water scenarios. Nowadays mm -hmm. it's like a, for a third bait through, or even just a first bait through you're fishing a, a steeper edge or weeds that are topping off at, you know, 10 to 15 feet deep. It's like, this is a perfect, you know, addition to the arsenal, basically, that that fits a, a role that you really haven't been able to use blades in. But yeah, blades for me have been huge. Um, really, this year was pretty wild. Uh, I'll be honest, we caught, I bet you we caught over 70% of the fish we caught all year on blades. Like I said, we caught them from oh, wow. April all the way through December. Um, a vast majority Man. of the success was really just playing with, speeds and size range um some days they wanted it super slow some days they wanted it super fast some days they wanted it fast super deep some days they wanted it super fast super high in the column 
I'm, I'm always an advocate for like, let's say I'm setting, I got two guys in front of me. We're all running through spots. Right. And I go, this is how I want you to throw the bait for, you know, one or four out of every five casts, but make sure one out of every five casts, you do the exact opposite, whether it be their, their staple or their, their uh, baseline is a super fast retrieve. I'll say, make sure you add in one out of every five casts. That's just a super slow rolled bait in and, remember that you're doing it too because yeah. it's amazing how yeah. often how yeah. often that one out of every five casts it's the action and and when you really try to comprehend that in terms of like numbers like the odds of that cast being the one that gets the action is is obviously a heck of a lot lower but it's also like all right we something's changed or the whole boat needs to to needs to make that change because hmm. Uh, it, it's amazing how that one out of ever, ever, or every, however many casts, you know, it is, is the one that kind of reorganizes the the game plan. So it's a lot, a lot for me this year was just the confidence to go slow roll a blade. It's so boring. It's beyond me. I, that was never how I really liked fishing blades. I was always burn and turn, you know, but yeah. I can tell you the slow roll for me was, was like, uh, it was so fun. I hate doing it every time. I got so bored. Like, I don't like it either. Me. Trust me. Yep. I will I'll just hand me a, a rubber bait. Let me rip it and go to town and, and trigger some fish. But let me tell you, <laughs> it was like even December, I'm sitting out there like your, your shit's freezing up on a slow roll. And it's like, here comes the supermodel barely spinning. And oh, there's a fish behind it. Hang it and have it eat. And I don't know. It was, it was a fun year. So yeah, blades for me is big time. Um, it's it's amazing just any adjustment like for me again the slow roll but like adding weight to baits like i said the addition of the grenade um the confidence to throw blades over 40 50 70 feet of water uh something that you know most guys whether whether that's why i'm having success because most guys aren't doing it or whether you just start to realize that blades work from march through december just because you're using it I, i don't know but um yeah they were they were a huge piece to my success this year without a doubt yeah a lot to touch on there i yeah that's why you're a pro though you already you kind of got ahead of my next few questions honestly just like every time you kept talking i'm like oh just answer another question oh he's saying because i I was yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i i guess i was you know curious obviously uh outside of the grenade you know is there any any certain models of blades that you found more successful than others you know this year I, I loved real quick i loved when you said like you know blades working especially in late season you know do they work because you're just throwing them more i mean we went out and fished in december and i, I threw on a bucktail that day because i was like i, I want to say that i caught a fish on a blade and buck uh, uh in december on a bucktail because like yep. you know all you hear about is <clears throat> throwing either you know a big glider you know big rubber or whatever late in the fall and it's kind of the textbook, you know, you, you pull up a, a, an article online saying, what should I throw in the fall? And everyone's going to tell you, you know, throw a big rubber, throw big glides, whatever. Um, but at the same breath, like, okay, well, no one really else is throwing big blades at that time. Sounds like it was successful for you. So outside the grenade, you know, what else did you find success on blade wise? Anything unique, blade com- combination, size, uh, anything in particular? So all the way back though, to when we we finally forced ourselves into fishing open water back in Vermilion with the Luke example of driving by them and, and kind of making sure. fun of them. 
that literally just continued to spur the whatever everybody's doing or whenever I Google what I should be doing, doing the opposite for all the years trying that. There was a lot of wasted time. Don't get me wrong. But you come across a lot of success and and just it comes with having the time to try the new stuff and having the confidence that if everybody's doing something, I really do want to try like I'm, I want to. <laughs> make an attempt hmm. to be doing something differently. Does that, sound, day, does that sound familiar, fun. Gus? Does that sound yeah. familiar at all? Yeah, <laughs> big time. That's all so, I do I out mean, here on the chain. That's the way to do it. I mean, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it literally is. And it, time and time again, the more success that I have with it, the more I get confident and like, especially guiding, it's like, I don't want to waste these guys' time, but like, we got to go try this. Like, and they, they have the confidence within you. But um, blade-wise, again, this year, we caught the most fish blade-wise on a trigger. I don't know what it is about a trigger since yeah, uh, us too. since the release of the trigger. Literally so the first the first year you guys throw triggers at all up there? All the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Got a bunch of them. I even made a few myself that are like little yeah. switches in it, you know. Yep, you gotta play with it. But the, yeah, the first year the trigger was released, um, every single bucktail fish throughout the whole season that I guided on the fox chain, every single bucktail fish was on a trigger. And they were like like I always talk about this, but you you when you catch a fish, you got to be aware of how the muskie eats your bait. Like it tells a lot. Like if it just nipped it, whatever. And in terms of bucktail fishing, when they eat the whole bucktail, you know you've got something, right? Like <laughs> like beyond the years way back, which I wasn't a part of, of like the cowgirl era. But mm -hmm. Like when they eat the whole bucktail, like you know you've hit the spot, right? Mm -hmm. Um. So the trigger was the trigger was huge for me. Even after dark, the triggers caught so many bucktail fish for me and it does it just doesn't doesn't seem like it fits that role like a big blade after dark or whatever but yeah, I can it's just tell a you, single skirt yeah a trigger i've dug so many triggers out of the bottom of their mouths that i'm just like it's a staple after dark if we're throwing blades at all it's it's guaranteed to be on but um do you trigger, toss a front hook on the trigger at all or you just run them just the back okay yeah, yeah. I, I just run the back as well the only thing when I I've reshafted a few and uh and made some with different weighting. Um I've made some yeah. with two skirts. Uh I don't even know if I've I've put a middle hook on them. I don't I want to say I haven't, but um the trigger the 109 was super good this year. Um uh and then the detonator. The detonator's been phenomenal for me and I think the detonator I think anytime you go to a really big bit, blade bait and it's it's really any big bait in general. I always say like you can you can almost if you fish a really large bait too aggressive i think you're gonna you're gonna kind of um exclude yourself from the smaller fish like you can never throw a big enough bait we all know that nowadays for like a 30 inch fish say but mm -hmm. i think the second that you start really moving a large bait aggressively i think it it does kind of lower your odds of of those smaller fish making a move on it um so for me, when I go to a, a detonator, and this is all sem semi-relative, but I will say the detonator and a supermodel, like the vast majority of my retrieves are like pretty plain Jane. Like I'm I'm just offering a giant meal, super easy. And the, the one special thing that I think I like about the detonator is the fact that like we know the the recent trends in, in hype around staggered blade baits and different size, this and that. And the coolest part about the detonator to me is the fact that the 13 blade, the supermodel blade is 
exclusive to musky mayhem so there's no other companies or whatever that can make a stagger blade bait with that supermodel blade mm -hmm. and i think that's I, th I think to some degree i think that's why it's been just like lights out for me that's been one of the other staples after dark for me and it just seems like it, it just seems like when you when you fish enough years for these fish and you have these fish that just seem like you, they've unplugged their brain next to the boat like they cannot do you can't do anything wrong. They just go ape shit, you know, for certain baits. That's one of the baits that I can certainly toss in that category of like these fish when they want that bait, like you can do zero, you can do no wrong. They, they just seem like they come unglued. So that, I got, that's a, been... I got a quick trigger story and then I'll, I'll let Gus riff. Cause I know I'm sure he's got a few questions and yeah, the detonator, you know, we've picked up those there. Those are awesome. Moved a nice fish in vermilion actually on the detonator and, I, I love the way those things look, but, um, a, a funny trigger story. We we've picked up a few listeners since, since I told this back in, in early summer, but we were night fishing and I threw on a trigger and, uh, you know, same deal. I was like, all I've heard is, you know, maybe big baits that push water. And for whatever reason though, we had been catching fish on the trigger during the day. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to throw this thing on and, and see what happens. And it was like our first spot, it was new moon. So, it was blacker than black outside. I had no clue what was going on. There's a shit ton of bugs everywhere. I'm kind of annoyed. It started to rain, not even like paying attention. And we pull up on this spot and like few cranks. Well, I actually, that, no, that, that wasn't the case. It was like, I, I'm not really thinking, you know, how like when you're night fishing, you start kind of thinking about other shit, you throw the bait out and like, you just kind of lose where you're at. Yeah. And so I'm reeling this bait in and, and all of a sudden just get absolutely walloped. And, uh, I was so out of my mind when this fish hit, it hit so hard. I, I, I didn't know where I was in my retrieve and I heard it, you know, but it was, again, bugs are going on. There's a light rain. And I, I, I heard the fish for whatever reason, I thought the fish was like both side. And so I, you know, put my rod down to the left and I'm, and I, and I try to swing back to the right. Like, I think the fish is only like three, four, five feet away from the boat. Mm -hmm. And as I swing the bait back to the right, everything just goes completely slack. And I was like, Oh, what the fuck? And I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, I start reeling up my slack. I'm like, I think he just broke me. Oh, nope, nope. Still have him. And he was like 40 feet out yep. <laughs> and it <laughs> choked the bait so bad that like when you know the muskie got up and, and we had our headlamps on at that point in time during the fight i couldn't even see it like it just yeah. all saw was line and mouth yeah. and uh lucky enough like when we we got the fish in the net it was a nice fish and we get into the net and you know we pry its mouth open that trigger was so far down lucky enough that the hooks were completely exposed so we were able to just kit, uh, clip them and um fish was totally fine but like you're talking about how fish eat bucktails. Like that was like crazy to me. And I'm like, okay, this bait works. Cause like, it was, uh, it was just one of those things that, you know, you couldn't even see the thing. It was so far down the muskie's mouth. I was just shocked. I literally bought a second pair of Nipex the year that, that the trigger came out because I was worried that like, if I, for some reason dropped the Nipex in the water or whatever, that like I was going to, I was going to need those million percent in the boat uh to unhook the fish that were biting <laughs> yeah they were like literally gone 
It was, it was completely, I mean, and the hit was just violent too. Like it, yeah. I mean, that thing wanted to just murder this bucktail. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the fact that it stayed hooked after I literally had it completely slacklined for, you know, probably five or six seconds, like not even thinking I had a bait at that point, I thought it just broke. I mean, I had no feeling of where I was at during the cast or whatever. And that's just a, you know, a whole night fishing escapade thing, but, <laughs> um, yep. you know, it was just, it was hilarious. See, I'm like, it was a miracle that I got that fish in. And then when we got it in the net, I'm like, it was not a miracle. That fish wasn't going anywhere. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> if, if you guys don't have any something important to go on to next, I got a quick grenade story, which is hilarious. Go yeah, for it. Go man. for it. So we're fishing this little stretch and, uh, I just, I basically just gotten back from my Minnesota stretch and, uh, I had told this guy, like, the bite window's basically at 8 p.m. Like, we're, we're going to go find some more fish, and then we'll set up for it, right? So we're halfway through the spot, and this fish surfaces, right, like, kind of behind the boat, right on the spot. And usually that's, like, that's like a, damn, we didn't have the right baits on going through the spot, and then that fish mm -hmm. probably just ate, you know? So I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. shit. So I'm like, all right. So I turn the boat. I go cast over that that fish, and he's throwing the grenade, grenade right? So he's bringing his bait in, bringing his bait in, and it's hung up on itself sideways. So he, he picks the bait up out of the water, and he's fixing it. And I watch this fish come up right next to the boat, and he sticks his nose out of the water. And he's, like, looking he's looking at us, like, where did my food just go? And and, and I'm, the, guy, the, the kid that was throwing the, the bait didn't see it happening. I'm like, oh, like he's, he's right there. Like, Fix your bait and put it back in the water, right? So the fish kind of puts his nose back down. He's slowly swimming back down and he gets the bait unhooked. He sets it in the water, right? And the fish hears it get set back in the water and he flips back vertical and two tail cooks just inhales the whole grenade. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'm just like, that was the dumbest, like, like that's the things that like, I'm not lucky as a musky fisherman. I really like, I have to work for every, but like once you start guiding and you see, you Crazy just have shit. like hilarious stories. Like, Greg has told zillions of hilarious stories. He's yeah, he's amazing as it is. But like you just see things in every spectrum, right? And I'm like, dude, that was like the wildest shit. I like the fish literally <laughs> looked at us with its head out of the water, like, and then went back down, and then like he set it back in there, and it just like walloped it, just completely nailed <laughs> it, and oh set the hook and get it in the net and. It was like the it was the kid's PB and his first figure eight. It might have been his first casting fish. I don't think he'd done too much casting before that. Wow. And I was just like, that was the craziest shit ever. Like that would have never happened to me. But I'm mm -hmm. so glad it happened. And it was like it was some of the coolest pictures ever. It was like pristine sunset and oh, everything. Like that that was that was one of those that I'll tell a million times and and he'll remember forever and I will too. It was, it was hilarious yeah oh my god that's oh, awesome awesome yeah what um with the grenade let's let's touch on that because max and i we got one for this season we're excited to use them unfortunately probably the one fish we could have caught with it uh pulled the bait out of its mouth it was pre-fishing for madison but hmm. we used it a good bit we want to use it more but for some tips on it is it mainly like a countdown straight retreat if you're fishing deep because i know you said you like to fish it shallow too or are you doing any like can you yo-yo it like how how can you work it can you work it in different ways so so the grenade for me is kind of one of those bait categories and i i like for for whatever reason i associate the beaver in in this category as well because it's like it's a new bait 
that I think everybody really like it, it. It's obviously productive, right? But it's one of those baits that people buy and and they throw for like five casts when they're getting bored and then they go back to whatever. I think it's personally one of those baits that you you got to go give like an hour and go play with it because it is it's beyond extremely versatile. Um, and and you can kind of start to realize how many different situations and structures and like whatever you, you'd really be able to use it in. Um, I would say for me, the vast majority of the time that I'm throwing it is is like a combination of how you would you would throw a bucktail slash maybe even like a swim bait right um like in open water scenarios i'm certainly yo-yoing it back i throw it out count it down five to ten uh reel it in or just straight like sweep it upward count it back down sweep it upward mm -hmm. okay. um and but i would say like my my average retrieve with it would be a working over any type of quote-unquote deeper structure um cast it out count it down a few or even just start retrieving it right out of the gates make sure that thing's getting down to depth because fish only see bucktails in the top five feet vast majority of the time right so i'm attempting to fish it in that five ten vast majority of the time and then i'm just playing with speed just burning it killing it letting that thing work just as it's designed on the sink um mm -hmm. i i add in probably two three times throughout a retrieve where i i speed it up quick few cranks of the reel whatever big sweep whatever it may be and kill it hmm. and uh it it's just it's a super fun bait like i said it's really one of those baits that you got to go out and play with yeah um, but there's so many different situations that it like it is relatively weedless surprisingly i i won't say that i've used it a like a ton throwing through shallow shallow weeds but I can okay. tell you, like Madison chain, for example, is one of those fisheries that when the weeds grow in, they grow in super thick to X depth. And then there's mm -hmm. just a wall. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's a bait that you can chuck up on top, burn it over the top and you get to that edge of the weeds and you can just kill it. And it just drops perfectly vertical down that that, you know, structure edge and then finish up with your retrieve into the figure eight. It just it adds a whole whole different dimension. The, and I and I hate talking about it really a ton because I always feel like I'm an infomercial. But like, it's a it's a fun bait to fish. It just adds in. It's kind of like I don't know how much you guys have used like Kramer Brothers Revo, uh, the Revolution blades. Not a bunch. Um, I got like, one. Like the but... peanut blade, but like that's yeah. another one of those that like when that came out years ago, like it doesn't exactly sink, but it like comes in deeper, and you can you can just you you have a bunch of fun basically variety of ways to fish a bucktail style bait so i i'm using the grenade a lot in open water i think uh just having a bucktail added to the open water arsenal has been phenomenal and you catch almost every fish that bites it because it's built on wire and flash boo and hooks as opposed right. to you know like, like rubber get somebody who's not as strong on a hook set in your boat and it's like Sure, they they might be able to get bit on a Medusa or a Bulldog or whatever you're throwing, but the amount of times they're going to be able to keep hooks in that fish might not be great. So that's a that's a right. great time frame for uh, for adding a, a grenade. But yeah, I'm I I love it. I it's just so fun to fish, and especially when you're talking clear water. I think if you can get a bait that's coming up at like a 45 degree angle into your first turn type of deal. 
I think it just it uh, it seems like it creates a lot more of those bites that that you know if you were to throw a normal blade or have that thing coming in two three feet deep and it doesn't really change depth as you're going into that first turn yeah. first real opportunity for them to bite it's it's just a blast of fish this this I I completely agree when you said you kind of put it into the category of a swim bait and uh this is opening my eyes on i was too stubborn and just kind of didn't shy away from the swim bait in like september i did really well on a swimming dog and that is like to a t how i fish it like if i cast it up shallow i'm burning the shit out of it and until i reach that point where it's deeper i kill it and then i do yo-yoing with it and then it always comes up nice and you know somewhat deep at a 45 and a lot of fish would just crush it as it's coming up like just into visibility uh this is mainly when i was hitting some clear water that i was you know at first a little uncomfortable with and now i'm getting a lot more comfortable with and adding that would be pretty sick because my experience with having blades deep is pretty much running a tube with the trailer blade and that's not that's not this exactly the same you know, everyone knows the power of a double eight, a double nine, a double 10, tossing that down 20 feet, 15 feet, as opposed to burning it over shallow weeds is, is uh, and honestly, probably like, pretty money. I, I think I've talked to Herbeck about this a little bit, but he's like, I, I, I throw the grenade, especially, and he's talking more like deep bars on, on Eagle, but he's like, he mentioned that he throws the grenade in situations that he would throw it to like. He okay. may not work it the same, but like it's it, they fit that they fit that uh, scenario so well. Similar profile. Yep, yep. So I mean, uh, it's it's just one of those baits that's so different that for most people, like you, you and it's all comes back to confidence. I think that a huge part of the sport is confidence, and I I, I know mm-hmm. that you guys have talked about it on prior podcasts um, that I've listened to and stuff, but like. It, it really just comes down to you got to play with the bait a little bit. You got to give it some time to work. Like, yeah, sometimes I know my buddy changes baits all the time too quick. And, and like his confidence relies on <laughs> like reaction from the fish. And I'll be like, dude, you didn't even throw it by a fish yet. Like may, we, maybe we didn't even fish a spot with a fish. Yet. Like you can't, you, you, you got to give it at least a little time or a window or, you know, go through a spot that, you know, has a couple fish on it and, and test it out, you know, before you start changing things. I really wish our uh, co-host Brian was here to hear all that, uh, that chatter. Cause that's, you know, he's been a little bit uh, guilty of all that. This has been fascinating. And, you know, I think we can get into a little bit more bait talk. I, I do want to be respectful of your time, but like I, my brain's running a million different directions right now and where this can go. So you know, you you just wave the white flag whenever you're you're done. Yeah. Well, um, here I'll I'll give you I'll give you an ultimatum. If you guys have me back on, we'll go for as long as you want. But I gotta get up. I gotta go to San Diego in a week, so I gotta get my rest. yeah right. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be yeah, jet lagged. Leave, leave that yep. in. Um. All right. So we can get back to some bait talk, but I do want to touch on this real quick because, um, you know, one of the first times I you know I I've seen your name before this, but. You know, we didn't obviously talk at this uh, event, yep. but you guys, you mentioned your buddy, Sam uh, Stone, yep. Yep. and you guys fished in the PMTT in Eagle River, right? Last year yep. and, uh, and had some. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, 2022. Two, two, yeah, two, two years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah you, guys, two years you guys were the now. big talk last year. You guys, <laughs> you guys killed it. Congrats, I guess, by the way, I've been meaning to say that. That was, that was awesome to watch from afar. I was definitely, uh, I was missing it a little bit. 
Appreciate well, that. I appreciate that. But that leads me to right into my question then. I mean, you guys are sticks. I, it'd be cool to see you guys on the trail again. Is that, has that been a guide and work related thing that you're not able to get out there? And then I do want to kind of touch on a little bit of that Eagle river event. Cause that was an interesting one. And with the whole blade topics, you know, I, I think if I remember correctly, you guys did have some success was during that the, tournament. We got them on walk the dog, walk the dog, walk the dogs. Water. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't blades. All right. Shoot, I did lose that. one on a trigger though. I did lose <laughs> one on a trigger. Um, but like triggers on the chain. The PM- yeah. Is the PMTT something, you know, you would consider in the future at all, or do you have fun fishing it when you did? I mean, what were you at with tournament fishing, I guess? I, I had a blast doing it. I learned a ton. It was, it, it was exactly basically what I, what I wanted out of it. Right. Like I, like there, there comes a point and, and it's not in everybody's um, experience, I guess, with musky fishing or like having like not everybody has a career in musky fishing, you know, like trying to make mm-hmm. a, make it as a guide or so on and so forth. But like, I'd always wanted to try to put myself up there against like some of the top fishermen. I, you, and it's like more of an ego thing, right? Like I want to, I want to make sure that I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm as good as I think I am type of thing. And, and really, however it played out, who cares at the end of the day, I, I, I've sure. come to realize, like, we're all just having fun musky fishing, but it was, it was insanely cool. You you learn so much from musky fishing tournaments in the aspect of like, there's a lot of ways to get it done. Like as good of a bite as you're on, there's certainly a, another situation that's just as good. So mm-hmm. I think when that really set in or like, like I, I came to realize that it, it also gives you confidence in just your day-to-day fishing. Like, like to go try new things or to realize that like that there might be two completely different patterns happening at the same time on the same fishery that if you don't go explore like you're never going to find that out so like it and this is a little bit of a long-winded uh addition to the the question but like there will be times where like the shallow cabbage is incredible in june and then like also the open water and and the time mm-hmm. frame in which right. the fish are active in both of those areas kind of play into how I go about my day. Like starting the day, the Cisco's are higher and I might target the open water fish to start the day. But then like for the vast majority of the daylight hours, um, like we're, we're fishing a completely different pattern, completely different group of fish. And then come sunset, like that, that window is set itself back up for those open water fish to, to be basically taken advantage of again. So like you realize that there's a lot of different ways to get it done and the tournament thing and all of these just insanely quality fishermen will teach you that whether you had a good day or not, you realize like there's a lot of different ways to get it done on the same body of the water. So some of it's just staying confident in the thing that you found. And sometimes it's like, you, you just got your ass beat, you know, you got to take it, you got to take it on the chin. Um, but I will, I will say that we probably, I, I would love to do it again at some point. Um, I think I realized that there's, there's levels to the, like levels to it, right? Like I'm, I'm the type of person that I would have to put in a certain amount of pre-fishing time to really feel like I, I did it well. Granted, we didn't catch a single fish pre-fishing in any of the tournaments, right? <laughs> beyond, beyond the championship, we didn't catch a single fish pre-fishing, but I, we everything we learned from that then gave us you know the confidence or the spots or the whatever to then go use during the tournaments and catch fish so 
I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it if I didn't allow myself enough time and enough time. It means a lot of money and a lot of money means you're not making money. Um, so at some point I'm definitely going to do it again. I, I, I loved it. I, I loved testing myself. And I think the, I think the tournament aspect, like I've never shaken so bad at a 38 incher in years, but when I caught that <laughs> yep. one in the championship, I was shaking like a leaf, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> it, that's, that's the fun part of it. And I think you have a good time seeing everybody and talking with everybody. So that was, that was really cool, but I, it probably won't happen for a few years. The only tournament I'll be doing is the lady of the lake one at the end of October, uh, for Geneva. And that's just really because the, all the stuff goes back into stocking it with leech lake fish and, it's it's a good program really to just make sure you're investing in the fishery and and that's it's a fun smaller term it's it's growing by all means and i wish they kind of had it a different time frame it kind of lays out basically right in the middle of turnover ish so it's mm. not it hasn't produced well numbers wise the last few years but it's uh it's a fun <laughs> tournament so that's really all i got there it keep maybe maybe keeps the public pressure down a little bit if they publicize those uh term but i i think uh <laughs> an interesting thing that you said um with with two different bites going on if i remember because that was that was gus and i's actual first pmtt event the one in eagle river and we did it just because it was our home water and i guess i don't want to spot burn here by any uh you know any means but <laughs> yeah you can cut that out I, I it was more just kind of just as an analogy like you guys were you know fishing I know up in shallow weeds and we were on that adjacent bay and, you know, both produce fish. Yeah. So it, it's just, so you caught, or sorry to cut in, but you caught yours the first morning, right? Both. Yeah. Of them? We caught both of ours during like that major, like nine 30 to 11 something. Yeah. That's, that's, we, we moved. That was like the only time we moved fish shallow was first day, first morning. And then we got our ass kicked weather changed, And that's when we made the jump Sunday to open water when we're when it was late june and we're wearing down jackets and bibs so what, piss, that. so what pisses me off about sunday the most is like sam and i are like through and through rubber fishermen basin fishermen like that's what we did mm -hmm. all of those years really that we we traveled like that was like our go-to right mm -hmm. and those conditions changed and right away i i had one that came in it was the fish that we moved like we had like 10 minutes left day one and we had the thing come in like six times, six casts in a row on the <laughs> walk dog. And then it ended up biting actually, but it like, it didn't really get hooked. So we went to that to start day two and you guys know how different the conditions were. It was, it was yeah. wild. And then I ended up, I ended up catching like a, a shorty in the channel in, in one of the channels that the wind was blowing through. We just, I was like, well, <laughs> let's just ride this out. Cause like, it's just all blowing through here. There's got to at least be one fish, right? Right. And I ended up catching a shorty on a shallow invader. And then I had one other one thick in the weeds uh, that came out of nowhere at the boat and, and missed a shallow invader. But that's probably, that's probably the one point within all of the tournaments that I wish, like, because that any other day, fun fishing, we would have guaranteed just went out to the basin and ripped rubber. And I'm like, we did it too long. We just, we never made it out there really. And we mm -hmm. grinded and I was like, yeah. that's the toughest part of tournament fishing, right? Like, totally. like making that, that confident decision to, to change up. But, Holy like one eight. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yep. But yeah, no, that was, that tournament was a blast. Honestly, like we had, we had zero, 
we had nothing to go off of. We, the the spot that we caught our first one, I had like maybe a 30 incher eat a single bladed bucktail I tied up like at my feet. And that was the only action that we had the entire pre-fishing. And the other spot was, I was, is it catfish lake? I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I had side imaged like three fish on a weed weed point there like as we were going in. So like that was that was basically the only two spots and it just planned it worked out where the first time through that spot that we caught the first one uh I had it I had it follow. We went around it like in the 360 and I I gave it, we gave it a different angle and he put the walk the dog absolutely it the talk about a bait being completely gone there was nothingness of this 10 inch oh my god it was all the way gone um and then That's like insane. i think i, I want to say that we basically finished that that spot and then we went to the other spot and like i was like there's five boats here but like none of them are on the waypoints that we laid i was like perfect and we were running the gopro the whole time i wish i could post this video because it's hilarious i'm like wow they're just gonna let us go right in here and we're like talking shit you know <laughs> and we pull up and it was like his third cast right as as we hit the waypoint he catches another low 40s on the walk the dog and i'm like thank you guys you know <laughs> i was like that'll oh. when the plan comes together or whatever you know keith always says it was funny yeah oh, we were right there and we saw you squeak in and catch one we'd probably be pretty pissed <laughs> just oh, yeah. as, would, just as I mean, tournament anglers you know I was just like, is. God, all these guys got to be like really pissed right now. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's the, it was the fun of it. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, who knows why we caught it or whatever, but like it was, it just worked out beautifully for us beyond the fact that after day one, we were in second and like seven fish behind. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you guys had, you guys had great success up in, up in Eagle river at, and it sounds like you really haven't spent much time up there, but, uh, you know, the limited time you did spend, it sounds like you enjoyed it, you know, getting to go fish the old chain, uh, bang around on that for a few days and you guys had some success. Um, you know what, what, I guess, obviously it's so different than what you fish, you know, obviously in Geneva, I don't know if it, I've never fished the Fox chain, so maybe it's got some similarities, but, uh, did you like fishing up in that, that Northern Wisconsin kind of chain of lakes, dirtier water stuff for a little bit of time? Um, so, I mean, for me, I, I enjoyed all of it. Don't get me wrong. I will say that, um, like I've, I've fished a ton around the area, but just never on the chain because like, I, mm -hmm. I may have mentioned earlier, but like most of the free fishing that I was doing when I was living in Wisconsin, fishing with sandstone around everywhere, like we were really just targeting the big fish waters. So we just, we mm -hmm. never made it there. Um, right. but I will say that it was the whole PMTT experience for me was like, was so weird for me to go fishing and attempt to pattern off of 30 inch fish like that's just not what i do it's not in my <laughs> right in my blood yeah. right so like that was how i ended up with a single eight bucktail on was like give me as much action find me as many 30 inches as i can so i can go back on them during tournament hours um but like that was that was probably the hardest thing like usually sam and i the way we fish is just like grab big baits go fish big fish water open water try to find like we'd rather one bite than six bites if it's like For the sure. right fish right um so it was just different um i would say really the the chain kind of laid out pretty similar like the clarity um kind of the way it fishes in comparison to the fox chain um but it's definitely more of a northwood style like a lot more weeds 
Um, like we have good weed beds, but like not, not nearly as many. So it was, it was kind of an adjustment there for the patterning or, or fishing style, which ironically enough, of course, we caught two really quality low mid 40 inches during that tournament. Um, there were so many Hell guys of fish for the chain. There, yeah, yeah, they were like, you guys fish. were on, uh, you guys were on three lakes, huh? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> right. Yeah. For oh sure. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so I mean, that was that was kind of funny. I don't know. We just stumbled into that uh, to some degree, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I I really I love fishing the Northwoods lakes. I really do. I just uh, I've especially nowadays coming back, moving to, back down to Illinois and uh, guiding in you know the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin area, and then the little bit that I do out in Minnesota for the middle of the year. I just don't. I don't get up there as much as I'd like. I, I love up there, just sure. the vibe and, and the the ability to bounce between a, a bunch of different waters. But um, yeah, it was it was a fun experience. It was new, but I, I definitely don't see myself on the chain anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, and then, and I, all good there. I no think you do. It is, yep. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, not at all. <laughs> we, we love the Northwoods because, you know, for us, it's, you know, like you're saying, you go, you you love your home waters and for us it's it's home and there's there's more to it than just the big fish aspect up there you know it's a, very tranquil and it's got some got some good aspects to it um but yeah glad to hear that you're uh you know hopefully we'll be back on the the pmtt circuit hopefully in the near future for sure It'd be good to, good to have you back and be able to kind of go tackle some new bodies of water because yeah i agree i think that's the most fun thing you know you talk about it is a little bit ego involved and I don't think that's an unhealthy thing in some aspects. I think it's okay to, so you know what I mean? Like, I think it's all good. Like you want to go there and you want to, you want to be competitive. And I, I think that it's just fun. I mean, it's obviously you're there for the camaraderie and, and, you know, hang out with buddies and fish against really good anglers. And, but I think it all just kind of ties into itself. Like, it, it I think was it's fun a healthy deal. Growing up playing like sports, like hockey and golf and like, having competitive juices, juices flowing. And then, you know, you go to college and, and you don't really put yourself in too many situations that, that allow for the competitive juices to really get flowing. And it was, it was like a blast to do it in that atmosphere. Like I'd fished other local random small tournaments and stuff, but the, the two day events and just kind of the bigger stage of things, I, I was, I loved it. I mean, send those juices through me anytime when I'm going musky fishing. I, I love it. Yeah, you're talking to two other golfers and hockey players right here. So we, we got to get on the on the golf course. I'm arguably a better golfer than I am fisherman, and it kind of screws with me. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Yeah. God, you might you fucking should be on the PGA Tour then. From the, some dude, of the pictures, been many days on the water while I'm guiding. Like, fuck, <laughs> I should be really sitting at the range, you know, working on my uh, beating balls, my freaking short wedges and shit. Not this, you know. <laughs> 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 that's awesome uh, um all right well uh so you know not to pivot too big but you did just get back from the expo did you take any take any new baits home with you is there anything that's sticking out we've done a lot of bait talk here tonight anything for 2024 season that you're excited to put in your boat and and try out bait wise no um i mean wow. I, I think i i don't know i don't I mean, I'll grab some quad dogs and I, I will say uh, maybe, maybe that's a yes. Maybe I'll take that back. Yeah. I think, I think the reg Lake edition beaver, I'm pretty stoked about. I talked to them yeah. about it a little bit, but like that, 
I've, we've been we've been on them to make that size with the lake edition i know uh a little bit of uh you know difficulty went into getting it dialed in and everything with the getting that much weight and that small of a head and things but it's uh it came out great i'm beyond stoked to have that in in the uh, arsenal for this year but really nothing nothing new i mean i didn't i grabbed some baits don't get me wrong but i didn't i didn't get anything new um crazy i'm just excited for another year you know every year ends you, you kind of feel like you uh you learned a bunch or you, you dialed this in more you didn't feel like you 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 got enough out of that situation so i'm i'm just excited every every year's uh i don't know i i love love what i do now i, I can't complain but i'm i'm definitely i had the best year i've ever had last year but i'm i'm beyond stoked about uh this coming one so that's that's plain and simple put that way yeah for sure i completely agree i can't believe you strained yourself from just like buying too many baits i'm gonna have this is the first time i'm going to three shows instead of one and i already know the damage i've done at one and i'm getting a little worried well see it's much like... easier when you're broke and you got to buy a whole new trailer because you had so much <laughs> so i was sitting there and i'm like do i get that no yeah, I gotta get it. I gotta get to the lake to make more money. So at some point, so bait wise, I had to, I had to take it easy on. Uh, it seems wanna... like the ones you did, it seems like the ones you used this last year didn't treat you too bad. So yeah, bucktails. <laughs> I mean, I, I like it's anything like this year. I'll be plenty good. I don't. I don't really have to buy too much uh, new wise, but might have to rebuild a bucktail here or there. But yeah, that's the best part about bucktails for sure. Just rebuild them. I mean, yep. even rubber too. You can reform it. They get. I've seen rubber baits go go south though once they get chewed too much or a tail's missing or something. But yeah, yeah, damn, yeah. Well, there's probably more avenues we could go through, but, but this has been awesome. We've been well, fucking yeah, just ripping the musky dog. Yeah, this is. <laughs> I want it a... to be fucking opener tomorrow, dude. I'm ready to go. Like, get me out there after well, this. Two months from now, come on down to Illinois, make a trip. We'll do some uh, ice out musky fishing. Yeah, might have to. Let's seriously. As long as I can my hold arm. myself ba- back on buying too many baits, I should have a new trailer by then. We'll be able to get on the lake. I'll trailer my boat down, no problem. Absolutely. <laughs> In the blink Let's of an it. eye. All right. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time tonight. This has been awesome, and we will 100% have you back on. I'll be looking forward to that because – a lot of a lot of similarities. We've crossed paths, kind of, but we've never met in person. You know, we all we all share hockey and golf, which is good. Yeah. You know, that's it's fun. You, you know, when you're on the boat for 13 hours, you don't have to talk about muskies the whole time. So it's yeah. good. To, yeah. Actually, good to... anytime that I don't have to is almost kind of refreshing. Right. <laughs> as much as right. I love it, and I'll do this all day, every day. Whenever you guys invite me back, I, I'll love to talk more muskies. But whenever we're fishing, if we want to bring up golf or hockey, I'm just fine with it. Sweet. Oh, plenty of stories. <laughs> plenty of stories there that we could. Oh yeah. Add. I feel like if it was a Friday night and I had another case of beer next to me, this podcast could be like a four and a half hour mega up. But uh, I agree. Yeah. No. I I, I uh, share the same sentiment with Gus. I can't thank you enough. Um, been following you from afar for a while now, so I definitely respect the, uh, the hustle and the grind. I know how much that goes into it. Just watching Gus, you know, kind of sift through the same battles that I'm sure you're having. And it's cool to see, you know, the younger generation of guides doing it right. And, uh, it's just cool to see success. So 
yeah, thanks for coming on and uh, looking forward to the next time, you know, try to have you on maybe uh, preseason or during the season, check in, see how things are going. Um, but, uh, you know, looking forward to sharing the ball with you, hopefully in the future. Well, I, like I said, thank you guys for having me on. I had a blast. I'm sure, uh, we definitely could have gone for a lot longer. I could tell, but, uh, <laughs> I appreciate I was, it. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll wrap that up for tonight, but I think, uh, I think we'll have a, another good couple. as time Oh goes yeah. On. I, I restrained myself so, uh, on a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> to just kind of keep hammering them away before before we let you go maybe we should uh, let the maybe we should plan the next one to be a mega just plan for it we could i'm just down do a we'll get brian thursday or friday night yeah we'll yeah, get he's brian got here it. i'm sure make sure he's not going to san play. diego or whatever I don't oh, even yeah. know brian, but i love giving him some shit awesome <laughs> well, <laughs> well we'll we'll be touching on we'll be touched on that or we would have already on the intro so that'll be extra funny that you are giving them shit and as well. Good. Also, every everybody does. So it's uh, you, we all deserve some right shit in. from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, what is crazy that. is that we're giving shit to Brian on his birthday. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, no. happy birthday, Brian! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if he even listens. Merry Christmas, too. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, this uh, is too funny. All right, let's plug some. Let's plug some guide info and uh, plug the socials. We'll save, we'll save the rest for the part two. Let's, all right, Austin Wiggerman everywhere. If you want to randomly follow the other page, that's just me and my buddies, Fish with Teeth Outdoors. Get a hold of me. 815-575-3468. Call, text, anytime. Got plenty of dates for this coming season. I'll be Fox Chain in Northern Illinois um, starting April 1st. Then uh, when Southern Wisconsin opens, I'll be on Geneva. And then I'll be spending like the the August, uh, late July, August, and early September time frame out in western northwestern uh, Minnesota, Detroit Lakes area, Miltona, West Battle, and some on Leech Lake, and then back on Geneva until she ices up for the season. So looking forward to this coming year, looking forward to seeing a bunch of the same clients and adding a bunch of new ones to the, the memory book. So Sweet. Awesome. Well, I uh, can't awesome, wait. Awesome, guys. Appreciate having me on again. That was fun. Yeah, of course. Can't wait to talk again. All right, everybody. We have a special guest and special announcement here. And his initials are GT. Uh, GT, how are you doing tonight? Um, heard you're down in Kentucky. Uh, I am. I'm doing good. We're down here. Uh in between musky shows, we've got the we just had the Chicago musky show, and we've got the um, Ohio musky show coming up this weekend. If any of your listeners are in the uh, Columbus or Hilliard area uh, of Ohio, that'll be going on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We got uh, you know it's kind of a you know every one of these shows that are um, in the their own little area with whether it be New York, Pennsylvania minnesota milwaukee um they've all got little niche markets of, of certain baits and stuff that you'll find and uh we also got a mud rules event coming up very very soon oh yeah for sure i think he cut out there for a second but Anyone? um yeah i think i think that'll be okay but 
yeah, coming up soon as well as the road rules event. Uh, Greg, I don't know if you want to give out some info on the dates there, if you got them in front of you or the like website or where to find it. Sure. Yeah, no, sure. We're going to be hosting it uh, the first weekend in February. Uh, we're going to be doing one at Sportsman's Repair uh, Shop there in Mosinee, Wisconsin. It's going to start at 10 a.m. and go to 4. We've got uh, some great speakers lined up, one of which is yourself. Gus, this is your first seminar? Correct. That's my first seminar. I'm uh, currently thinking of ideas to put into a PowerPoint. I'm about to put it together here uh, shortly. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to do it. So thank you for uh, for asking me well, to join up on it. Yeah, no, that'll be uh, that'll be good. It'll be really cool. It's going to be you, myself. We're going to have Nate Ospar there uh, for anyone that's followed the PMTT over the years. They certainly know uh, Nate. Him and his partner, uh, Matt Riley, have won a lot, done really well. Uh, Nate's kind of a local there in Mosinee, and he's going to have a lot of good things to say. And we're also going to have, just this weekend, I locked down uh, Michael Hansen from the Hayward area, uh, is going to be speaking as well. So we're going to have three really good seminars, uh, or four, well, three really good seminars than myself uh we'll be talking and uh i don't I think sell it's yourself gonna be, short. Uh, it's going to be a great event <laughs> yeah yeah well, it's going to be a good event jim's and i'm going to make jim put on a uh a little talk about some electronics and stuff he's always really good at that and uh yeah we're hoping to have some door prizes to give away some raffles it's always a good time you can uh for right now i'm gonna try hopefully to get a pre-registry going on the website, muskyroadrules.com, M-U-S-K-Y, uh, for musky, muskyroadrules.com. It'll be the Mosin E-Clinic. You can pay right there. It's 45 bucks uh, to get in. Uh, women and children are free. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool event. We've been doing these now for, oh, damn near 20 years. And uh, they've been oh, something nice. really, really cool that we've done every winter. And and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing, uh, you know, seeing guys come out to it. And uh, not only that, on, on, on Sunday, I'll be leaving there Saturday night. And Sunday, we'll be putting one on at Thorn Brothers in Minneapolis there uh, on the north side of the city. Right now, I've got uh, myself slated to speak. We've got Luke Ronestrand from Lake Vermilion. We'll be doing a seminar, and we've got uh, the guys from Fish Electronics there coming in to do a seminar as well, talking about rigging and what to get for, you know, basically answering questions of, you know, what trolling motor would fit you the best, what electronics, and uh, all the rigging questions. Again, it's, it's a 10 to 4 seminar uh, right there at the store. We're going to be doing it upstairs at Thorn Brothers again, door prizes raffles a lot of different stuff so i think it's going to be a a lot of fun for people and and something that uh you know everybody's gonna gonna really really enjoy if you've never done a road rules event um they're always a lot of fun it's a great way to spend a cold day in the winter uh with friends talking muskies and uh yeah usually leave with some uh pretty decent prizes 
Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Everybody come on down to Mosinee at, uh, what did you say it again? It was sportsman's repair. For sportsman's repair shop in Mosinee. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's going to be on February 3rd. And then, and then our, uh, uh, clinic in, um, at Thorn Brothers is going to be on February 4th, the very next day. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of fun. You know, a lot of guys are going to be there and, uh, you know, Jim always, uh, rolls out the red carpet for us there at, at Mosinee. We always have a, a good little lunch as well, as well. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's always, uh, it's always a good time. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. For everybody out there looking to ice fish, don't go to the road rules ice stinks this year and yeah you'll fall <laughs> through well. yeah you're the gonna ice, fall through for sure the ice is deadly it's deadly ice <laughs> yeah. watch out it'll bite you uh, yeah. um, but no it's just a great way to spend your time in the winter you know keep following the uh, check out the social media stuff um either mine or tony grants or musky hunter and you're gonna see that uh you know we're gonna post some more about it and everything uh but it's it's a good time it's a good event a lot of people learn stuff and we've been doing it a long time and uh most of people that uh most everybody that comes always leaves learning something and we get a pretty high return rate so cool awesome well i'm really looking forward to it and and thanks for coming on greg to uh share that hopefully with the uh with some listeners here that are in the area for that <laughs> so i'm looking forward to yeah. going and seeing yeah. some some people here before uh because it actually yeah i'll be going to that before the milwaukee show which is the first show i'm going to so um are you are you making it to any other midwest shows greg are you going to minneapolis oh yeah milwaukee? i'll be at all of them i'll i'll oh, be nice. at milwaukee i'll be at minneapolis columbus probably pittsburgh wow uh, the only one i'm not doing is the new york the new york show um never been up there uh, I heard it's doing pretty well. It's a very niche Eastern show. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be fun to go. I'd probably spend too much money on crankbaits, but um, <laughs> right, there's some uh, expensive builders up there that make some pretty cool stuff. Oh, yeah, but that uh, yeah. So I, I probably won't make that show, but um, all the rest of them, I'll be there. We've got a few more road rules we're going to try to put together. Um, we've also got one we're trying to put together in Brainerd. Uh, on February 10th, still working on the speaker lineup there. Uh, nice. But, you know, this is all coming together now and we want to uh, get as many people as we can. And yeah, it's a great way. Again, it's just a great way to to make it through the winter and and do your uh, uh, and do your stuff. So how's uh, has ice fishing been any good up there? Uh, it's been decent. I've really just started to get back into it again because like finally got over a gnarly cold and it's finally not negative 20 outside it's been in like the 20s yeah. and upper 20s now and it's been very uh, modest out and nice pleasant i should say pleasant of ice fish uh, more my speed i'm not a super hardcore ice fisherman but uh i just got out twice this past week which marks only the third time i've ice fished since the new year's and I plan on going more this week, this weekend, the next week. It's all, all this, all these warmer temps are going to get me out of the house a lot more. I'm looking forward to a little exploring. Sure. So we'll see. We'll see what I find. Yeah. Well, but that's, yeah, that's cool. 
I'm glad you guys could uh, get out. And hey, I'm glad you got, you know, I'm glad you guys could have me on here tonight. I just wanted to make that announcement. And uh, yeah, I don't want to hog any more of your time and get to the real guest. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we will. At this point, we'll already have the uh, interview with Austin. And um, yeah, we'll have to, we'll, we'll get you back on again, Greg, to do a whole full rundown of, of stuff and things that I know the listeners will want to hear. They really enjoyed our last one. So we'll, <laughs> you'll probably, you'll probably say, Oh, that's surprising, but no, people really loved it. That was a great podcast. We had a blast as well. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, uh, you guys take care. I'm going to, uh, sit here and scream at the television because Kentucky's playing like shit right now. So, um, I, uh, you guys have a uh, you guys have a good night, and I appreciate you letting me come on. Yeah, of course. Anytime. You as well. All right, Gus. That was an absolute blast. Had a good time talking with Austin. Uh, hopefully everyone that listens to this that isn't familiar with him, I'm sure a lot of you are. Go check out him on uh, all the socials, kind of see what he's been up to. But um, lots of glean from that interview. I mean, we covered a, a wide variety of topics. Uh, felt like I actually learned a lot about what he's got going on. But I want to hear it from you first, Gus. What was uh, something that stuck out? I'm sure it's going to be hard to pick. But, uh, you know, for time's sake at this point, yeah. what's something that really stuck out to you in that interview? For time, Yeah, for time's sake. I mean, geez, we... We dove in a good bit on Geneva and the clarity and fishing clear water. I think that was, I think those were some of the biggest takeaways that I got on kind of how he fished. It kind of just gave me a little more confidence to go into some of the bodies of water up here and use those same tactics, whether, whether it be the grenade working it just how I work a swim bait, uh, whether that's stepping off a little bit further being, I think being more comfortable with blades in clear water and deep, some of those things don't sound like they should go together, but it's, it seems like maybe because he's doing things differently like that down there, that's why he's catching so many big fish. I think that's something that we should definitely add to our, our repertoire on just working baits like the grenade and slightly deeper water scenarios, you know, um, that uh, just the thing that we kind of were saying during the interview, we could go down so many more avenues. I had so many bait questions and so many more things to touch on, on clear water fishing. I mean, we just talked about blades. We didn't even ask a single question about a crankbait, a dive and rise rubber. Oh. I'm sure he uses the shit out of rubber too. Oh yeah. I mean, we didn't even think about asking that. So honestly, yeah. that, that was the big thing blades clear water equals confidence that's that's mm -hmm. what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna find that's what i took away so what about you puma and the cheetah baby puma and the cheetah yeah the the herbie, I, uh, the herbie yeah thing. yeah i love i love that analogy i thought it painted a really good mental picture uh you know we talk about confidence a lot i think sometimes even just getting those gears to start to shift in a way where you can you can see it happening underneath the surface, right? Thought the Puma and the Cheetah analogy was just great. Outside of that, you know, I I really, I think everything he said was great. 
I will say, you know, I, I think it just goes back to a lot of times I've touched on this when we've had guests that come on, you know, uh, we're all musky addicts here. It's a safe space. That's probably why you're listening to a musky podcast. You know, he's talking about working and fishing, working to fish, uh, growing up, you know, kind of that's how he got his start as, you know, graduates college. And clearly that was just kind of, uh, on the top of his mind, you know, he's working jobs, uh, you know, that, that fit the schedule, uh, make it easy to travel, going to these destinational locations. It's, it's all, uh, it's all just cool to hear everybody's individual story about how they got into this sport and kind of how they got the the bug as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, just makes me fired up hearing stories like that, knowing that there's other people out there that share the same passion as we do. Uh, it's just, it's just always good to, to kind of hear people, you know, talk about it, how they got into it and, yeah. and kind of where they're at now. You know, he's a relatively younger guy, but clearly in a span of 10 years, like, you know, you have too, has just gained all this knowledge. Like you can just shows that, you know, you spend enough time on the water doing these trips. Like you're going to learn a lot about these fish and they're not going to become so far out of reach as uh, they sometimes feel. So yeah, just, um, great interview uh you know always good obviously to see greg too excited for uh your guys's show here in a few weeks to speak at the mosany um event road rules event that that he's putting on uh it's gonna be great to i'll be really curious um you know i'm not gonna be able to make it but uh you know obviously michael hansen being there is gonna be awesome he's a friend of ours he's got a wealth of knowledge um and he's been just grinding uh you know all the way up until ice up hopefully we can have him back on to hear some more about that uh shout out michael if you're listening to this uh just a true beauty um so you know good good for you guys to connect there at that and then i think it'll be great to hear obviously always great every time greg talks you know listen he's got a just a plethora of knowledge he's a guy that i would go drive and see if i was able to do the mozani show um and then you know Clearly seeing Nate Osper, uh, super well-decorated tournament angler, you know, catches, mm-hmm. catches monster fish, uh, yeah. seems every time that he's talked on other podcasts, I've, again, he's a guy that you want to bring out the notepad and, and, you know, listen to and, and hear what he's doing. So great lineup of guests, Gus, that's pretty cool that you're, you know, a part of that and excited to see how it goes for you. Yeah. I'm extremely honored. I, I want to, thank Greg for, uh, for including me in that seminar and I'm excited. And at the same time, we'll probably be a little nervous for the first, you know, seminar that I'll ever do. And, and I, I mean, geez, we talked so long. I almost forgot. Uh, I want to thank Austin again for all the good tips on seminar speaking. And (laughs) I mean, not, not only, you know, just like giving me the confidence to be myself up there. Like he was given some like in detail, you know, presentation tips, you know, numbers of slides, be sure to not talk during a video, get that all kind of like set up right on uh, how you want it to be presented and make sure you just, you know, be, be personable with, with the crowd that you're in. And, and that's definitely what I want to do. I want to make sure that I leave it very open for people to ask questions while giving extremely, you know, detailed, awesome things i mean i know i think he's mentioned his chicago seminar was i think about baits and i think 
ironically enough, I think that's what I'm going to make mine about is uh, the seminar is going to be about baits, you know, overlooked situations and baits and how to work baits in certain areas in Northern Wisconsin and kind of how it's helped us fish spots in general. I think, um, I think that's what I'm going to make that, that seminar on, you know, give or take a slide or two difference on that. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was really, really good info from Austin. Uh, I'm really excited to see, I'm really excited to see Greg again. Really sad. I, I met Nate last year at the Wausau show, actually during the first ever podcast I was ever on, uh, 2023 March with the round table Wausau show with, uh, Jeff Whitman, TRO, uh, the backlash podcast. So it'll be good to see him again. Great. To, it'll be awesome to see Michael Hansen. So I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be my first road rules event. And, uh, again, if you didn't hear it's February 3rd at the, in, in Mosinee and, uh, I'll, I'll be posting some more info on that. So, so yeah, I think, uh, I think that covers it on tonight's Megapod. I hope, uh, everybody enjoys this. Um, we really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, we're missing out on Brian here to give us the old classic outro. We all, uh, adore at the end of the podcast after a late night get him rambling at a million miles an hour i know i probably can't do that anymore so max if you get don't have anything else to add we'll uh we'll catch everybody on the next one yeah let's put a bow on it and uh catch you guys next week tune in tap in however you want to do it we'll see you guys on the next one peace peace Thank you.